When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You might actually be the most derivative one of all. I mean, Christ, the same house. Maybe so. But you forgot the first rule of surviving a stab movie. Never answer the... I'm bored. Wait! Welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking, you know what this is for? The lies! We're talking about doppelgangers and doubles, and we're talking existential crises in the form of subway meltdowns. And I'm Joe. And I'm Trace. And we're talking, um... What are we talking about, Joe? What is this? (laughs) (laughs) A tentacle Kramer versus Kramer? Um, You know, it's so funny. So we are covering this after we covered The Untamed from last year Mm -hmm. and after we covered the, uh, well, the original Diabolique, but then talked about the remake. And I really wish I would have seen this first because I would have had an appreciation for tentacle porn and uh, Isabelle and Johnny. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Yeah. It's all of those things in one one fell swoop. Uh, but yes, everyone, we are discussing Andrzej Zuwowski's Possession, a film that has been relatively difficult to find until recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Judging by the amount of letterbox users that I have seen recently watch this. Thank God for Shudder, because otherwise this was a very difficult film to find. Yeah, I had honestly never heard of this until it it started doing the festival circuit, what, last year? Because there was like a new 4K restoration of it, but I mm-hmm. missed it because I, I never go to the repertory screenings at festivals because I'm just like, well, I'd rather watch new things. But in this case, I feel like I missed out on something because I can only imagine what it's like to see this movie in a theater full of people. Mm-hmm. Also, that is a bold-faced lie. I've been talking about this movie since we started this podcast. <laughs> Well, I probably didn't know what you were talking about, and I toned you out. Because <laughs> I've never heard you of that. Like, that Gwyneth Paltrow adaptation of A.S. Byatt's novel? <laughs> um, there's also, I think, a Sarah Michelle Gellar Lee Pace movie called Possession, too. Oh, there is. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Anyway, so, yeah, I probably was just ignoring you. So, good Fair for enough. you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 you knew about this movie. <laughs> I'm just saying, I know all the cool, weird shit. <laughs> But let's see if someone else knows who this movie is. Let's bring our guest that's waiting in the wings. So, everyone, she is a co-host of The Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast, as well as the Psychoanalysis Podcast, a weekly series that analyzes the horror genre through a lens of mental health. She's also the co-host of White Ladies in Crisis, uh, which you co-host, Joe. (laughs) (laughs) Um, She's also got bylines at such sites as Bloody Disgusting, Dread Central, Slash Film, and Remorgue. And you may remember her from our previous episode on The Final Girls from back in 2020. 
Please welcome Jen Adams. Hello. Hello. Welcome to Possession. Oh, thank you. I'm so excited to talk about this movie. This like total mindfuck of a movie. Okay. (laughs) Was this your first time seeing this or had you seen this before? It was my first time seeing it. I believe my glib like take of this, because I'd heard about it for a while. I read about it in Carola Janice's House of Psychotic Women. Mm -hmm. And then um, my co-host on Psychoanalysis, Laura Unterstall, has been talking about this. And I was like, I've got to see this movie because it's like, it's got this aura of like this like dangerous or like this it's because it was banned probably or this like really subversive film that you just you have to see like it's not quite like the poughkeepsie tapes but it's got like that same kind of aura to it you know Although it's a completely different film, you know. Well, it's a video nasty. We're entering back into the world of video nasties, everyone. Um, Which (laughs) Which is so wild, because what the fuck? I know, yeah. So she fucks the monster. (laughs) Who hasn't, you know? You know, it's funny. I don't think... I heard so many things about this. How, you know, oh, like, where it starts is not at all where... You'll never believe where it goes, blah, blah, blah. And I knew there was a tentacle monster, but honestly... I don't think anything could. It, it, the tentacle monster to me isn't even the wildest part about this movie. But like, I know. no, it's. Uh, I watched this twice. So I watched this on Friday. Sorry, everyone. Today's Monday. I watched this on Friday to like to just absorb the film, just take it in. Say, okay, what is this movie? Then I watched it yesterday to do my notes, and then basically right before this, I rewatched like the last thirty minutes of the movie because it's just mm-hmm. it goes in such a wild direction, and the dialogue is. <laughs> something <laughs> yep the dialogue the histrionic performances mm-hmm. the like absolutely just weird moving camera that Zulowski's got it's very yeah it's just it's a whole lot of movie it is I don't know if I've ever felt as confronted by a movie you know as this one does and I don't say that in a bad way but it just feels like this right. movie like insists that I feel something when i watch it you know mm-hmm. well so joe um mr fancy i knew about this movie mm-hmm. a long time ago um, when, when <laughs> yes. did you when did you hear how did you discover this movie so i'll confess this was brought to my attention by other people so i remember we did some kind of i think it was like an anti-valentine's day post <laughs> on anatomy of a scream so the members of my salon macabre group uh, many of whom you've heard on the podcast before so my toronto crew they had said oh we should do something like on possession i think it had shown up in grim magazine a couple of times it's a beloved classic from female horror fans i've noticed because of isabella johnny's performance but also just because she's such a fucking bold character right like she mm-hmm. really does give no fucks in this movie <laughs> and i think that endears her to a lot of female identifying fans so i was like well what is this movie why why do women care about it so much so i will confess uh if folks want to lambast me because of what i said in our skinamarink patreon episode where i said you know we really should be cautious about (laughs) (laughs) admitting that we pirate things i was like well i can't fucking get my hands on this movie and people will not stop talking about it this would have been back in i want to say like 2018 or something so there was no restoration on the horizon shutter was not picking it up so i was like i would like to watch this movie so yeah i downloaded a copy fell in love with it and i have pledged the minute that a 4k the restoration from last year when that becomes physically available in north america i will be buying the absolute fuck out of it because i love this movie yeah so to note on that physical release everyone so mondo did release a limited edition blu-ray that is now going for 200 dollars online of i think course. it was limited wow. to 2000 copies 
they do have the regular version of it available. I think at least in the states, it's forty bucks as of this recording. But right. um, again, it, it is a Blu-ray, so that four K restoration is not on this physical release set. Mm-mm. And this is a movie from nineteen eighty eighty one. Yeah, nineteen eighty one. Yeah. So like, there's certain aspects of it. Like, it's a very kind of dull, flat film in certain ways because that's the shooting style like that's the mood we're trying to evoke but it's also really gorgeous and i want to be able to make sure i can appreciate everything in that pristine 4k version if it's available yeah no for sure well okay so uh before we jump into the plot of this film let's go into like let's set the stage for what this is because on the surface obviously we're looking at the dissolution of a marriage Uh, there are a lot of comparisons Mm -hmm. to cronenberg's the brood i I saw antichrist comparisons being thrown around i actually think a really interesting like so you start with the brood then you do this and then you do um uh guadagnino suspiria Mm, right mm-hmm. yeah like that seemed like the biggest progression from like <laughs> to just to go we're in divided berlin blah 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 blah. but <laughs> and then you go on antidepressants and yes. you never marry or have sex again well and if you hate yourself you can watch antichrist so there, there we go, go. <laughs> i own antichrist but i have no plans to ever watch it again <laughs> i'm too afraid to watch it <laughs> uh i i i need i owe it a rewatch i did not like right. it at all the first time i watched it but i bought it because i was collecting all the criterion quote-unquote horror food movies mm. But I just, oh, it's such a chore to sit through. <laughs> it's it's a lot. It's a lot of movie, right? Like, there are certain mm-hmm. films that feel like they're deliberately trying to resist a good time, right? Like, you're not mm-hmm. popping this on for a comfort watch. You're watching this to feel existential dread. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very Yeah, much and get so. that out of your system. You know? Right. Yeah. It's, it's cathartic. Mm-hmm. It is. <laughs> so, to start, let's go to 1976, when director Andrzej Zhuwowski, uh he divorced actress Malgorzata Braunek, one of the actresses in his 1972 film The Devil. And they were married in 71, so I don't know if they met on the film and got married, or if, like, they got married and then he put her in his film. But, sure. I digress. This divorce effectively fucked him up real good. So (laughs) Zawowski even recalled an instance in which he once returned home late in the evening and found his five-year-old son Xavier alone in the apartment, smeared with jam, after his wife had left the child alone for several hours, which, as all of us know, is directly mirrored in possession. Right. So while all this is going on, though, uh, Zuwowski is in the middle of filming his science fiction epic On the Silver Globe, which he had adapted from a novel that his great uncle wrote. But in the fall of 77, the project came to a sudden halt when Janusz Wilhelmi, apologies if I butchered that name, was appointed vice minister of cultural affairs. And Wilhelmi shut down the film project, which was 80% complete, and ordered all materials destroyed. And so... Zuwowski faced a de facto ban and was forced to leave Poland. While immigrating, he did not, he, he suffered from suicidal thoughts. And while immigrating, he did not give up on these suicidal thoughts. But during the filming of this film, he had been able to kind of like curbside them. So, of course, mm. having a film that he worked on for so long that was then like basically destroyed brings it all back. Yeah, mm. came back. Exactly. I do want to say, though, uh, the reels of the unfinished film for On the Silver Globe were ultimately not destroyed, but preserved, along with costumes and props. Wilhelmi died in a few minutes later in a plane crash, and the film wasn't released for another, like, 12 years um, after oh, the boy. end of the communist rule. It screened at Cannes in 88 with, like, essentially like a workman's like cut. Like, they had all the footage they used, and they had a commentary to fill in the na- narrative gaps. Oh, interesting. I love it when they can do that kind of stuff. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. But so, yeah, this big sci-fi epic effectively can't. He started drawing on his own personal life to develop a new project. And he approached film director Danielle Thompson, asking her if she would work on a film with him. 
weird fact, and I only bring this up because uh, Isabella Johnny is mentioned here too. So this Danielle Thompson filmmaker lady, in 2009, <laughs> she signed a petition in support of film director Roman Polanski calling oh, for his... Oh no. Oh wait, 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 wait. <laughs> calling for his release after Polanski was arrested in Switzerland in relation to his, of course, 1977 mm. sexual abuse case. In 2010, she joined actors like Isabelle Huppert and Isabelle and Johnny and many other actors in signing the petition in support of Polanski. Mm. So mm. we love to give talented men a pass because yes, they're sure talented. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they I'm sure they all people. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they actually know him personally. So if there's a personal thing there, but at the same time, it's like in yeah, this climate. No. Yeah. That doesn't give you a pass. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, after receiving a script about 20 pages long, Thompson suggested screenwriter Frederick Tutin, Tutin to help finesse it. So Zuwowski went to New York to meet him, and they worked on the script um, while Zuwowski is in a deep, deep state of depression. So if you're watching this, um, I feel like it's pretty obvious that this filmmaker was <laughs> going through some shit. <laughs> yes. We're working through some shit. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> So in 78, Zuwowski and the film's producer, Marie-Laurie Rare, immediately chose Isabel and Johnny as Anna. By this time, Johnny had already become a celebrity, but the producers had reasons to expect that she would accept the offer. She had an unsuccessful attempt to start a career in Hollywood, um, starring in Walter Hill's 1978 film, The Driver, but that failed at the box office. So she returned to European cinema, starring in 1979's Nosferatu, The Vampire. But it had not yet been possible to repeat her success in being nominated for the Academy Award for her role in 1975's The Story of Adele H. So her team is trying to get her like back in the public eye again. And so they right. look at this script and they're like, hmm. No. This is so, a question mark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they turned down the offer, and the filmmakers chose the next candidate in line, who was Judy Davis, who, which, whoa, mm. I, that's bizarre to me. But I think that would have been really interesting, but I think the film would be very different. Well, because then you have, well, I guess Sam Neill's Australian, but like you wouldn't have a European actress in this film then. Mm -hmm. yeah but there's so much about people being out of touch with the culture that i think it could still work well sam neil um a less well-known actor but he also appeared in the judy davis film my brilliant career in 1979 so that's how he got involved because they were working on judy davis and i'm like oh yeah let's get this guy too right well he got mark but unfortunately davis and her team were hesitating over whether to take the role so a johnny eventually accepted the offer beating her to the punch Right. You snooze, you lose. Yeah. So the budget for the film was $2.4 million, and a 12-week shoot was scheduled. Uh, Zuwowski chose Berlin as the setting for the story because of its proximity to the communist world. And I think we'll have more to say on that later, because I'm pretty sure that ties into some of the themes of this film. Mm -hmm. Maybe just a little. Just a little <laughs> bit. Principal photography began on July 7th, 1980 in West Berlin, and most of the film was shot right next to the wall, um, which... I guess like the, the shots we see of the wall in this film are the wall itself. It's not mm -hmm. like a set. Mm. No, God. which is absolutely wild. Like we're seeing mm -hmm. real footage of soldiers patrolling the wall with the barbed wire and rifles. Mm. God, that's wild. I know. The surrealist clean quality that Zawowski wanted for the film was aided by the steady cam work of camera operator Andrzej J. Jaroszewicz and Bruno Neuten's cinematography and lighting. Carla Rambaldi, a famed Italian special effects artist and the creator of the xenomorph animatronic head from Alien, uh, assisted in creating the tentacle creature featured in the film. So, Possession actually had its worldwide premiere at the 34th Cannes Film Festival and was released in France on May 27th, 1981. 
After an initial limited theater release in the UK, the film was banned as one of the notorious video nasties. And again, if you want to hear more about that, um, I think our our primer on that is in Island of Death. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So go look at our well, maybe not watch the film or do, but <laughs> definitely listen. Definitely listen to our episode on Island of Death because it's real good. <laughs> I mean, just content warning for everything. You're yeah, gonna go I mean, to that one. I like the movie, but yeah, yeah. it's um, it's a. Uh, it's, it's a, a lot. lot. It's nasty. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it does apply. I, 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 I would not just show Island to anyone. Whereas with this, I'm like, eh, I could show it to some people, I think, probably. Sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> On American screens, however, and this is why, like, once I relearned what this was, because apparently Joe told me about it four years ago, <laughs> um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I never sought it out because I could never be sure of which version I was going to see. So mm. in the States, it got a heavily edited 81-minute cut. And that is just... What? Exactly, the last half of the movie. You know? Except they didn't. They cut out the front part of the movie. Oh, yes. no, really? Yeah, so they, they made it to look more like they wanted to market it as a horror film. So the oh. marital drama stuff was essentially cut out of the film. Mm. Which is just, I, I mean, I get it from a kind of marketing and advertising point of view. Yeah, you focus on the murders and you focus on the creature stuff. But like, this movie is a horror film through and through. It's Absolutely. just that it's doing a lot of character work. Oh, yeah. But it also, like, I feel like, like the film gets wackadoodle towards the back half. And, <laughs> yes. You know, I do think it's a film where you're kind of like, okay, like, I get what's going on, I get what's going on. But then, like, I can't even pinpoint a specific shift in the film. But it's where you're like, okay, wait, wait, wait. I think I might be losing some of what's happening here because we're, we're leaving the realm of, like, normal narrative and going into mm-hmm. more surrealist territory. I can tell you when that shift happens because I have watched this movie probably eight times since it was released on Shudder, but oh only God, a couple Jen. of times consecutively. <laughs> I know. Well, I t- I, I'm a movie on repeat person, like for better or worse. Sometimes it's great. And sometimes you watch Hereditary three times in a day and oh, question your life choices. But like, I also have this really bad habit of falling asleep while I'm watching things. So the first time I put this on, I was like, ooh, I'm really going to enjoy this. I'm going to turn all my lights out. I'm going to like immerse myself in this movie and -hmm. i fell asleep at about the hour mark okay and it before it i was like oh this is so such a stressful drama like i was really into it it i like i would still categorize it as horror but there was nothing overtly horrific yet you know Mm -hmm. and then so i was like trying to catch up and so sometimes i would start at the beginning and then i would just be doing other things and then i started putting it on at the second hour or at the hour mark and it becomes like a slime bananas movie (laughs) (laughs) so right around the halfway point i feel like it's right around the halfway point yeah yeah i think the tentacle creature makes its first appearance um oh it's like it's the 50 minute mark 50 minutes in yeah Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. Joe, I'm sorry, Joe. I, I'm sorry. I was looking at the Wikipedia page. Um, do you know who was partnered with Zuwowski from 1985 to 2001 and was also 26 years his junior? I do not, but you're going to tell me, and I'm going to gasp. It is Sophie Marceau, Miss Electra <gasps> oh. from The World Is Not Enough. He has a type. I know. <laughs> Because also, I could see her playing this role in, like, some kind yes. of update. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. very much so. They even look kind of they similar. Look they similar. look a lot alike, yeah. Oh, man. But yeah, so going back to this American version, though, yeah, they turned it into an eccentric body horror film, eliminating the main theme of the painful breakdown of marriage. This version was ridiculed by the American press as an example of cheap grand ganal and had no public success, which is probably why none of us heard about it until much, much later. 
Mm-hmm. It had a modest box office total of 541,000 admissions in France. In the U.S., it grossed 1.1 million at the box office. But again, this is that 81-minute cut. Right. Although it was banned from distribution in the U.K., it was later released uncut on VHS and DVD in 2000 by Anchor Bay Entertainment. And in 2014, Mondo released a region-free Blu-ray of the film featuring the uncut version. And again, that's the one that has a $200 version and like a $40 version. But uh, basically right now, if you don't want to buy it, shutters where you got to go because i think <laughs> i don't think this will be a quick leave for them because i think they've bought the rights for a while mm. Ooh, i hope so yeah because unless a better priced physical version comes out you're either stuck with that like older 40 dollar version or you got shutter mm-hmm. so. well and the thing is i mean i i get your whole thing with the 4k thing because you are right like i mean what's the point at this point if they have a 4k version and i have it on my tv right now mm-hmm. but in the interest of like I mean, I do I mean like preserving it. Yeah. yeah. Kind of. Like, again, like on the off chance that it disappears again. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I'm thinking of Ken Russell's The Devils, where every time it shows up, people lose their shit because it's such a hard film to find. And you're like, oh, my God, yay, it's available. And everybody watches it. And then it's gone a month later because, mm-hmm. well, I don't understand how licensing works. But <laughs> obviously, some of these films are hard to pin down. And the... I don't know, maybe it gooses the ratings or the, the viewership numbers, but it's always a little disappointing when something that's hard to find becomes publicly available and then it's gone in a flash. Yeah, you got to watch it right away. I tried to watch uh, Irreversible the other day and I could not find it anywhere. Oh, did you too? Sorry, sidebar. Did you hear that they're doing a straightforward version <gasps> of it? Really? Wait, would that defend the purpose? Yeah, yeah, I just that's wrote what I a thing think. about how I love the reverse part of it. Right? But it's the freaking selling feature. Exactly. I mean, I'll still watch it, but... <laughs> Interesting. Um. Yeah, no, Irreversible is not available to stream anywhere. Yeah. I've never seen it, so... Oh, oh, I've owned a copy forever, but Love yeah, it's it. it's another wild one. It, yeah. yeah, it's very challenging. <laughs> all I know is about it's about a rape. I know it's about a rape. That's all I know. Yeah. Well, it's a rape revenge, but it's done backwards. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. So yeah, uh, Possession received a lukewarm critical response when it was initially released in France in the summer of 1981, but opinion has greatly increased in the 40 years since its release, with the film gaining a pretty sizable cult following. On Rotten Tomatoes, we got a score of 85% with an average score of 7.9 out of 10, uh, 75 out of 100 on Metacritic, and Letterboxd users, ever these smart people, have given it an 8.2 out of 10. There we go. Nice. But, um, yeah, uh... Let's talk about this thing. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm going to reference an article by David West a couple of times throughout this. Uh, I found that this was the the most thorough piece that I could find. So a lot of good writing about this movie, but a lot of people kind of hitting the same beats. And this Mm -hmm. was the one that helped me to really kind of crack some of the stuff in the back half. Mm -hmm. So his piece is called Possession, A Marriage of the Natural and the Supernatural, and it's from the Twin Geeks. So, we begin with a little bit of synth, and <laughs> we get some views of the Berlin Wall, and the the early scenes are people kind of like on the move, and we eventually come to settle on couple Mark and Anna, played by Sam Neill and Isabella Johnny, and they're hesitantly greeting each other on a street corner. Like, this is a very stilted welcome home, so we gather he's been away for a while, She's not super excited to see him. Just a little bit. Yeah, this movie just drops you right in the middle of their marital strife. Like, you have to pick up on a lot of, like, the whys. Although, again, like, there isn't really a hardcore reason why. There's a lot of pieces to it, Mm -hmm. but it's not a simple, like, oh, yeah, you did this, and that's why I'm leaving. 
Well, and I think that's part of like what I love about it too is because I feel like the movie is really told from Mark's point of view and mm-hmm. yes. a lot of what I take from this is that he can't figure out why she would leave him, you know. Yeah. And maybe she's got her ideas. But yeah, the the dialogue is so stilted. It almost it feels like like watching the original Suspiria, you know, where it's like mm-hmm. are we really watching these p- two people talk to each other? And right. maybe that's part of the point, but there's like this whole ethereal dreamy not real quality to the whole thing. Yeah, it almost feels like it's a stream. Like we're hearing their thoughts. Like they're speaking aloud their actual thoughts, and not maybe not a stream of consciousness, but like it's a, they're not filtering it through what right. they would normally speak. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, if you're at the point of divorce, maybe you don't care about filtering anymore. You know? Yeah. Well, and that's something. I mean, look, like my husband and I have been through things together it was earlier in our relationship we 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 have both hit rock bottom together and so i always love watching movies about people that are like a dissolving relationship especially ones that feel real so despite Mm -hmm. the uh what what word did you use joe the histrionics of it yeah and it's very melodramatic too Mm -hmm. but the um, every all the emotions on screen here feel very real and very human they do and i am i am a divorced person and so a lot of it like this is not what my divorce was like because i feel like this isn't really what anybody's divorce is like although it did <laughs> fuck a monster one time um, but no that it captures the feeling and the frustration and the like yeah. mm-hmm. the love disintegrating but there's still little pieces of it i think it captures right. that really well and i think this for the entire movie works really well as a feeling movie for me as opposed to like a logic movie well that's the thing you know i I, truthfully i was expecting something a lot more abstract and granted Mm -hmm. while we do enter abstract territory in the back half and there are still a few things i have questions about Mm -hmm. i was never like what the fuck is happening i mean i was Mm -hmm. but like not in that i'm confused kind of way (laughs) Yeah. yeah, I think there's plot points in here that can be confusing, particularly on a first or even a second watch. Mm-hmm. And hopefully we're going to iron out some of those things as we move through them. Right. But overall, the plot is very much just it's a couple who don't communicate well who are breaking up. Yeah, there are parts that feel a little contradictory to me early, or at least my reading of them kind of is combative with each other. Like, I don't know how well the linear narrative of this lines up, but I can always tell what's happening. You know what I mean? So they end up retiring back to the house that they share. He lugs his luggage in, (laughs) and we learn that they have a son, Bob, who is played by Michael Hogman, and he's he's pretty young. (laughs) (laughs) Despite the fact that he's got the name of a six-year-old. Bob. (laughs) Like, I mean... I know his name is Robert, but like honestly, like I, I don't mm-hmm. think I've actually met a Bob in my life, like a real Bob. I don't think I have oh. either. Yeah, my dad is Bob. So, oh really? <laughs> so many yeah. things are explained about you, Joe. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> There's like the, these eras of names, you know. Like Jennifer is a dead mm-hmm. name now. Like there are no children named Jennifer right now. Yeah. But like when I was six, there were billions of us. You know. So right. I yeah. guess that's yeah. the same for Bob. Well, everyone takes their yes. names from TV shows now. That, this yes, is that's true. true or celebrities yeah. i mean bob is a bit of a linchpin particularly in the early parts of the film because it's very much okay well they need to either try to stick together for bob or we're gonna stick in the picture for bob or well who the fuck is looking after bob right now mm-hmm. <laughs> so they put him through the bath and then they end up going to bed because you know i haven't seen each other for a while so they'd be down <laughs> to fuck and 
even this though is stilted like we don't see sex we just see them naked in bed so we're seeing the aftermath of it which i think is significant and they eventually both kind of get to the point where they say yeah we were both faithful while you were away Mm -hmm. this is revealed to be a lie but we'll come back to it or is it i have questions about that wait wait wait. about about his fidelity or no about hers Okay. No, she's she been cheating. She been fucking a bunch <laughs> of people. Has she? <laughs> yes. I don't know. I, I okay. Here's my thing. Like I, my new thing is like I see everybody as an unreliable narrator now. You know, maybe I just don't trust people anymore. But like I'm always like, <laughs> is that really what happened, or is that the feeling of what happened? So I don't know. I could maybe make an argument. Like I think the reason that I have questions about it is because I feel like this is the most honest conversation of the entire movie, you know, and I really believe them when they say no, we're just we just don't want to be together anymore. That's you know? interesting to me because I hmm. feel like it's one of the least honest conversations, and we get more honest as the film goes on. Once mm. all the once they don't give a fuck anymore. <laughs> interesting. Okay. <laughs> I, I think in her mind, because of what she has gone through, which we will unpack as we go, I don't think she considers what she has done cheating because her moral compass and her world philosophy has changed. And I could agree with that. I could get on board for that reading. Okay. Okay. Nevertheless, he – and he's a spy who is – He is a spy. Off he's of a, a job. He's a hot spy. Yeah, too. so that that's what <laughs> oh we God. see in the next scene. So this is where you really start to get, you know, like, hey, did you notice that the camera's on the move a lot in this movie? <laughs> Here we fucking go. So oh, we're yeah. in this absolutely giant room that looks like he's going in for a job interview, and it's revealed that it's the opposite. This group of people want him to come back to do more covert spy work, which is what had drawn him away. And he is like, no, give the work to the person you're going to hire instead. And they basically say, we're not hiring anyone. We want you. And this will also come back later. I'm so just reminding back to Jen's comment. Um, yes, he is a hot spy. I, I, <laughs> oh my I, God. I've always thought that Sam Neill was attractive. But mm-hmm. oh my God, young, young Sam Neill. Sam young, ne- like rail thin Sam Neill. Whew. Oh yeah. my God. We almost get a cock shot in this and we do get an ass shot. I know. Shot. I was like, yeah. <laughs> I, good, just good for you, sir. just kind of swaying around. Good, yeah, I, uh god like, it's, it's weird to say that i was so turned on by him in this particular movie i know because no, there are moments where he's hot. like repulsive like when that scene where that's coming up there are some moments where he's just so gross but then others and mm-hmm. i think it's it, it's one like there's some daddy energy to him you know that i really yeah. like but yeah um yeah, it's just, it's just such a shock to see a young Sam Neill for Wait, me, too. Wait, I'm sorry. I'm actually – sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm diverting again. Do, do y'all <laughs> like Mark? Uh-huh. I don't think so. I think the first time I watched it, I did. I don't particularly hate Mark, but I don't think I would want to date him. You know, well, I think the problem with Mark is that he looks like Sam Neill and he can wear the fuck out of a pair of pants. Uh-huh. But he's <laughs> he's basically a misogynist. Like, yeah, he's exactly. a terrible dude. Mm-hmm. He's I mean, the I'm, product I, I, of a toxic system. I'm not. Yeah, I, I'm not making excuses for him, but that's very much like the time and also where he is. Um, I do empathize with him, though, because, I mean, as you all said, we're in his POV. He doesn't know why this is happening. And granted, mm-hmm. he's not really doing much to take personal responsibility for his side of things no but he's blindsided by this so i feel for him in that respect i do too and i've been the part of the divorce that is trying to like make reason and like try to figure out what to do and how to stop this and it is so frustrating and i do empathize with him he just 
he'll do these things that piss me off. And I think the more that I watch this movie, the less I like him. But yeah, okay. but see though, I feel like this is a movie that, that shows that people will do irrational things when under like heavy emotion, and this, mm-hmm. everyone oh, sure. in this movie is suffering from really intense emotions. So I, yeah. I mm-hmm. almost don't. I don't want to say I don't fault anyone in this movie, but I don't. I, I don't necessarily begrudge them for the decisions they make because I don't think any of them are rational decisions. Yeah, like this whole movie. I mean, I think, Jen, you said this is a vibe. This is like an aesthetic (laughs) kind of mood piece. And that's evidenced in a lot of these performances and these characters where they are wearing their emotions on their sleeves (laughs) 24-7. They are going big or going home. But the problem is, is they're also not listening to each other. So it feels like even when Mark is trying to reconcile with Anna or trying to understand, he's basically just shouting at her in a tiny kitchen while she cuts (laughs) herself with a knife. Mm You're like, Mark, you, you maybe need to tone it down a little yeah. bit so you can have an adult conversation. Okay, but at the same time, I'm like, bitch, stop mincing the meat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're going to have a conversation about infidelity, maybe do it away from knives. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Especially <laughs> electric knives. You know? Oh, my God. You when an electric knife comes out in a horror film. <laughs> oh, yeah. Never a good thing. <laughs> hey, but it doesn't even hurt, so it's fine, you know? C- clearly right. not. <laughs> <laughs> We are so jacked up in emotions, we feel nothing (laughs) and everything. Oh, welcome to my therapy. (laughs) So he comes home from this meeting with his former spy colleagues and no one is there. So he gets really angry when Anna calls hours later and she's basically said, well, she needs some time to think. And he searches the apartment because he doesn't trust her. He's like, well, where the fuck is she? So he eventually ends up finding a romantic postcard from Heinrich. And we don't know who Heinrich is, but it's very, I mean, you can infer pretty heavily that there was some kind of romance going on. And that is an, a piece of evidence that she has been unfaithful. I will give you that. Oh, <laughs> so my God. You're probably right that she was unfaithful. I think my vibe reading is that right. she was. <laughs> yeah. Do you think he was unfaithful? Um, I feel like we don't have the information. Yeah, I, I feel like he, I think so, but... I also could see it going either way. Yeah, because I don't think we really know. Because I think if we're seeing the movie through his eyes and he doesn't think he's done anything wrong, that's not going to be weighing on him. Well, but here's the thing, though. I think the infidelity Mm -hmm. is important, at least for the Heinrich side of things, but it's not really important to the dissolution of their marriage. Like, infidelity is a... Is, it's a symptom. It's a symptom. Yes. It's it's yes. It, it's not like the only thing that's happened. Like the infidelity is a, is a result of something else that was toxic to begin mm-hmm. with. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, I think can agree when, with that. When I think about whether she was actually with Heinrich or not before this, it's not until he starts to really badger her that she starts to kind of throw this in his face. And so as I'm watching this, I'm like, is he just is she just kind of like going out to get a lover so that he will leave her alone? Mm. Because he can't understand that she just wouldn't want to be with him. There has to be another man that has been more dominant than him. You know? Yeah. I'm perfect. It has to be another man. <laughs> exactly. Now I am well aware that that is probably not what's actually happened, but that is definitely a vibe that I think I get. Jane, I I will tell you, honestly, I won't even I won't turn down a single read of anything in this film. <laughs> no, because 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 be, be no, because I think there are many reads to be made. Honestly, like I, I'm interested to hear anything either one of you has to say about this. Well, and yeah. a lot of my reads are going to conflict with each other too. So. Well, fuck off. <laughs> Jen is just throwing things against the wall, and we're going to see what sticks by exactly. the end of the episode. That's yeah. fine. That's the, that's uh, that's our shtick. Mm-hmm. 
That's definitely mine. <laughs> <It's> true. Yes. <laughs> okay. So he still doesn't know where she is. So he calls her friend Margie, who is played by Margie Cartinson. And he basically says, you know, like, tell me about the affair. I want Anna to talk to me. And Margie's kind of like, I can't really help you. I'm sorry. I don't want to be involved. But mm-hmm. Anna does eventually call back later. But it's to say that they're over. So they make plans to meet at a cafe. And this, this to me, was the scene where I realized, oh, I think I love this movie. Yes. Because Same. they meet at this cafe and they immediately... <laughs> They just sit down facing away from each other at a corner and it is so fucking beautifully framed and shot and then they just absolutely go at each other. He's like, well, fine, if it's over, I don't want to see Bob anymore. I'm not going to be a father to this guy. And he starts throwing chairs. There's a running gag in this movie. If you want to do a drinking game, anything to do with Sam Neill and chairs, he's mm. like all over the place when it comes mm. to a fucking chair. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned it with the framing of this. Like again, they sit like not catty corner, but at a corner facing away from each other, and it's just like there's a few people in this cafe, but for the most part, they're the only ones there, and they are mm-hmm. just screaming at each just other. Screaming <laughs> at each other. I know. I love it. I could just eat the soon with a spoon, and I've seen it now probably five or six times, and it just gets better every time because I notice tiny little things, like when they will stare ahead, like in anger, and then they'll kind of turn around at each other. And mm-hmm. I think it is a perfect way of framing a couple that are begrudgingly talking to each other but not listening right. you know yes yeah so i'm gonna bring in west for the first time here that's the mm-hmm. article i'm citing he says the framing of the shots in the film divides the two characters visually obviously <laughs> even the setting with the film's consistent focus on the berlin wall highlights the division between the two individuals mm-hmm. so okay wait, wait. I, I i will pull in, in uh, one thing so <laughs> this is you're gonna laugh this is actually from the blu-ray.com review of this blu-ray Okay. And it says, Possession tells two very different stories. The first is about the violent and rather bizarre collapse of Mark and Anna's marriage. This is the story that most critics in the West love to write about. It is hardly surprising because it is obviously the only story that makes sense to them, which I think is kind of weird. That's but catty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. <laughs> um, this story is also the reason why Possession is frequently labeled a horror film. The second story, however, is about a very cruel closed system that is slowly but effectively transforming people into monsters. For some, the transformation is so disturbing that they can't endure it and lose their minds before the process is completed. Director mm. Zawofsky had firsthand experience with this process, but managed to escape the system before it was too late. In Possession, Mark and Anna are not so lucky. The excess and gore in the film effectively masks Zawofsky's condemnation of the system. In 1978, this exact same approach within a different context was used by the director in his On the Silver Globe, whose production was halted by the Polish authorities when they became suspicious of its intent. In other words, the horror in Possession is nothing more than a needed distraction in what is essentially an angry political film. Hmm. What? I wouldn't say only. I would take out the word only from that sentence mm. because I think that that suggests there's only one way we should read the movie. Right. And I think the movie is far more interesting if you allow all of the various readings. But absolutely, like you, you see a lot of passing comments in the same way that people who didn't want to unpack the Suspiria remake were mm-hmm. like, well, I don't really understand why we need to do all the focus with the wall stuff. And you're kind of like, well... At bare minimum, it's informing the character psychology because they're basically living in a prison industrial complex. Well, yeah. 
And that's okay. I thought about this when I was watching this too, because yeah, as soon as I saw Berlin Wall, I was like, God damn it! Like, <laughs> welcome back to the Panopticon. I gotta remember this shit again. Like, know the historical context. But again, the difference between this and Suspiria is that Suspiria is a contemporary piece that's a his- right. it's a period piece about that time period with the berlin wall this was filmed during the same time frame literally during the time like mm-hmm. he specifically chose to film it using the backdrop of the actual wall so what i was thinking and maybe this is a silly thing to think but it's like okay so a lot of people especially people like that are like maybe not that weren't alive during this time period will miss a lot of the 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 parallels here and like the themes because they don't fully understand what the berlin wall is or what it means and so Mm -hmm. you could say it's immediately dated if people don't already know it or they didn't learn about this in school and i always think about that too when we think about like um when there's references to pop culture in films like oh it's dated therefore that's a negative and i was like why don't we apply the same thing to historical context Mm -hmm. i think because it doesn't feel cheap here, which mm-hmm. is maybe passing a little bit of judgment on people who are so eager to reference contemporary pop stuff in yeah. modern films. But here, I think it just feels a lot more organic. Um, it it feels like it's actually doing a lot of work to inform things as opposed to a, hey, look over there. <laughs> Do I got your attention? Because this is a thing that you recognize and it pops. Yeah. Right. And it is a touch tone that carries a lot of weight in people's minds. So you automatically right. bring your connections. Yeah. Yeah. And I also don't know if this movie, if I feel like this movie is trying to make me think something. You know, I don't feel like there is a cohesive message. What I get from this movie is he's trying to work through his divorce. You I know? I agree. I think yes, yes, but I, I, there is that second layer where it's like, oh yes, but th- there is a reason it's said here. There's a reason it's. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously they're they're filming there, but like the, the, mm-hmm. it plays a part into some of the themes and the emotions of the film. Not to say you can't get anything out of this film if you don't understand the context, right? But the context does play a very important part in several readings of this film, which. I realized my, my comparison to, like, pop culture references and Apple stat, it's like apples and oranges because most time those are, what, jokey things, right? They're yeah. not playing a part in the actual, like, yeah. plot or themes of the film that we're talking about. I don't know. I mean, I can think of a contemporary example that I quite appreciate, which is the moment where we dance to Paris Hilton's uh, Stars Are Blind in Promising Young Woman, where mm-hmm. it, maybe not like a pop homage, but it's a needle drop. And it's very much a signifier of, like a lot of things going on in that movie but Mm -hmm. if you if you don't know who paris hilton is if you don't understand why it it kind of lends the film a bubbly pop sensibility i think you can still get away with it Mm. yeah Yeah, that's true and to kind of take it back to the two different levels that this film is working on like i definitely can see like there's a political element and that there's a family drama element but i don't necessarily think those two things have to be at odds with each other or even really separate like i feel like Mm -hmm. a lot of especially from a female perspective a lot of political affects your marriage and it affects the home that you're living in you know and i think that you we just see a lot of conflict politically and personally in this too and you know the personal is political yeah i mean when i look at the the way the wall is incorporated into this film i don't even read so much of a political angle so much as 
it's a division, right? It separates right. things mm -hmm. into two sides. And since this movie is so obsessed with doubling, I mean, it, you have to dig to get it. Like, it took me a couple of tries to figure it out. But, like, Mark was deployed on the other side of the wall. Mm -hmm. So he, he, it's not like he was away in, in America or some other part of Europe. Like, he was literally just on the other side of the wall doing shady work. Well, Isabella Johnny is literally growing her own version of him that <laughs> is her ideal mate. Mm. So, yeah, we've got this scuffle in the restaurant. They get thrown out, and it's over. So we get some brief scenes of Mark, frankly, looking like he's in relationship withdrawal. Like, he's sweating heavily. He's disheveled. He's not bathing. He's gotten himself a, a new apartment where he's just sad and lonely boy See, all the I time. just thought he was, because you can see li empty liquor bottles on the floor, so I just assumed he was probably going through alcohol withdrawals. <laughs> But he was yeah. he was like he was he was self medicating with booze and maybe even <laughs> drugs during this entire time. And this is the only time in the film I am not attracted to him too. Like there is something so off putting about how how he must smell in these yeah. scenes. Well, it's Ugh. icky. Although I do like the stubble. <laughs> well, this is very pathetic though. Like he, yeah. yeah. And well, I, I, I use that word not as a condemnation, but as a fact. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, he is very pathetic in these scenes. <laughs> no, I agree. And I think this is kind of a, one of the puzzle pieces to one of my kind of larger reads of it is that without his wife or the structure to take care of him, he just completely falls apart. Mm -hmm. Right, because he, he gave up his entire job to come back to a marriage that doesn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And... I think, you know, I think the system I see in this movie is the patriarchy. And I think when you have been propped up, although I wonder what his life on the other side was like, because mm -hmm. that's what makes me wonder if maybe he was unfaithful. Because like when he doesn't have her, he just he like cannot talk, you know, and it's like it feels more than depression. It feels more than like just being upset about this divorce. It's like he loses his basic ability to yeah. like understand time you know mm -hmm. but i think we're i would probably disagree with that just because we don't have enough information about what he was actually doing mm -hmm. but it definitely seems like if he doesn't have some kind of mission be it a job or the role of a husband and father mm -hmm. he immediately falls apart <laughs> yeah well actually what I, I i love that you're saying the role of husband and father because to him if he's not a husband he cannot be a father and so right. <laughs> which exactly. i think is really funny oh, that was a big old <laughs> fuck you moment to him i was like I mean, come on you're not ever gonna see your kid again <laughs> i would have done the same thing like fine you take it that's right. true it is fuck a very you. take the dog take the kid take the house everything. Oh, no, I'm I'm taking, i will take the dog you can take the kid <laughs> oh my god well, guess what? It turns out that no one has taken the child because when oh. he eventually returns home, he discovers that Bob is by himself and the house is completely in disarray. Ooh. This is child endangerment. Just yeah. putting it out there. Well, oh, yeah. she comes home and she's like, it's not always like this. And I was like, is it sometimes like this? <laughs> right. It should probably never be like this. <laughs> Although I will say he is back and he has been gone for three weeks too. Yes. So he could have come back and cared for that child. But yes, it does seem like this is just something that happens. Like she'll just go off and she'll just leave him. And it is, it's hard to watch this little kid so filthy. It's because mm -hmm. Heinrich's giving her a good dicking. Exactly. Oh well, or the slime well, guy, you know. Yes, that's <laughs> I true. I was going to say, it, Heinrich's already out of the picture. We just don't know it yet. Um, no. I, I don't think Tentacle Monster is capable of fucking her yet. I, I think I think it's maybe a fetus still at this point. Unless that's not her first Tentacle Monster. 
No, yeah, she's that's not true. just out there getting the dicking people. She's <laughs> literally true. growing this thing from scratch. Yeah, it takes uh, a lot of work. Hey, and I'm the one who thinks she has not been unfaithful too. So. Yeah, but no, but, but just like film tech stuff. Like I love, 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 love how the camera stick. Because as you said, we you know we have the camera moving a lot, circling mm-hmm. a lot, following these characters. But then we have Sam Neill sitting in this rocking chair. Right. Mm-hmm. And the camera Another is just chair. fixed <laughs> as we just see him rocking back and forth, coming out of frame, into frame, out of frame, into frame. It is mm-hmm. so creepy and cool and he's just waiting for her ass to come home (laughs) it's the most deranged rocking i have ever seen to the point where i was like there's got to be somebody under that chair making sure he doesn't collapse and bust his head open (laughs) right he never met a chair he didn't want to do something weird with no it feels dangerous I mean, I think it's a testament to where his mind's at, right? Oh, I agree. God. Yeah, it's a great visual <laughs> right. reference for that, you know? <laughs> yeah, the, the entire movie just feels unstable. And I feel like this is a really right. great kind of microcosm of that. Yeah. So Anna does end up coming home. And this is when Mark announces that he can't live without her. And he <laughs> pleads with her to break off the affair. And she is so quiet in these moments so he ends up cradling her he undresses her he tucks her into bed it's interesting because the framing of this is actually identical to how he treated bob when he came home and took him out of the bath Uh. and you're just like there's there's no sexual intimacy here like oh we're literally conflating your wife with your son Mm -hmm. this is a dead marriage i actually meant to ask uh if only because of the final scene of the film is there is there meant to be a significance of the bathtub and bob um like is it the womb or something well i don't know because i mean like actually maybe maybe that's the easiest reading to make of it because i mean not to skip all the way to the end but you know the movie ends with him (laughs) submerging himself drowning himself (laughs) yeah nearly drowning himself but like we also have several scenes of him in the bathtub in this movie Mm -hmm. i wonder if it's like it's his safe space Mm, it could be I feel like there's like a, a kind of juxtaposition between clean and dirty in this right. movie too. So I oh, wonder yes. if like the bath or when he is getting a bath, that uh, kind of symbolizes like yeah. being cared for, you know? Yeah. Well, and also that he's a bit of an innocent, right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. he, he needs to be taken care of, but also he's, he's often in a state of getting clean. Whereas a lot of these adults are getting pretty fucking messy. Yeah. They, I love how they wear the same clothes. Oh my God. <laughs> that blue dress that she wears. I was like, bitch, did you not clean that? Oh my God. They must've nope. had like nine of those things. <laughs> uh, considering how dirty they get later. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah but there's also this, fe- this like theme of like infantilization throughout right. the movie, you know, which I think is an interesting parallel to like literally growing a human being you right. know because we could look at the scene where sam neill is all dirty and gross in that hotel as mm-hmm. like his slime forming like he literally looks slimy and grimy you know right yep so maybe he's reforming at or he's trying to reform as a person who can survive on his own well i think it's about human connections too right like mm-hmm. we can't do things entirely by ourselves sometimes we need someone to help us and that means undressing us putting us to bed caring Mm -hmm. for us feeding us and so on and when i remember getting divorced like that was something that i needed a lot of help with and i would literally like i paid my ex to put my christmas tree away because i just i could not make myself do it yeah you know and i feel like it's like when the foundation of your life feels like it's been ripped out 
it's hard to like brush your teeth or it's hard to take a bath or yeah. it's hard to do mm-hmm. those things that we just take for granted when things are going well. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to bring it down. Yeah, no, really. it's, just, it's, it's one of those things, right? Like that's what this film opens up mm-hmm. is those kinds of feelings. Like it's so difficult to watch the two of them go through this, even though we don't really even know that much about them. No one should be made to suffer this badly. Right, exactly. And I think they feel like avatars to me for a lot of feelings (laughs) that I have felt in the past. And so that's why I keep wanting to get mad at Mark about things. But I mean, he is, I don't want to say blameless, but you're right. Like, they are both going through a lot of shit. And I feel like I would want somebody to extend grace to me if I were in that state, you know? But that's, I mean, like, that's, yes, that's any relationship. I mean, you know, I I Mm. talked about on this show, like how both my husband and I cheated on each other before early in the relationship and like it it was bad and you know we made a conscious decision to stay together and work go to therapy and work on those things (laughs) i mean once again this movie go to therapy (laughs) exactly there are so many conversations it's never i used to be such a judgmental asshole about other people's relationships and Mm It wasn't sure. just with me and my husband, but like, like with, with the, growing up and going through life, like I was like, oh, no one has any place to say anything about anyone's relationship unless mm-hmm. you are actually in the relationship. And yeah, I completely agree. I like watching movies like this, and I find them cathartic because while yes, this is a very this is um heightened reality of sorts. It sure. still like there are so such basic human emotions being communicated on the screen mm-hmm. that so many people are afraid to talk about in their everyday mm-hmm. lives, and so. And I'm not saying I'm perfect. I still like have trouble voicing things and voicing my 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 insecurities and whatever because that's human. But I just like yeah this this. It gives me an outlet for that in some way. Exactly. Yeah. It allows me to like access these feelings and it kind of gives those feelings of vocabulary that feels safer to start talking about than it does, you know, about like some traumatic things, you know, and I would extend, I think that to this might be a little more controversial, but about parenting you know because there's a lot of Mm. things that they do that are could be judged as bad parenting and there's some things that are actual bad parenting like (laughs) don't leave your kids alone for that long and also watch them when they're in the bathtub Mm. but um (laughs) but i feel like like it's really hard to judge everybody's parenting and when you are in the midst of a divorce and you're just trying to get through the day taking care of yourself it is really hard to take care of somebody else especially somebody that young and i feel like this movie really shows that bob is just kind of pulled back and forth through the ringer of all of this you know he's hearing all of this screaming oh he's yeah seeing his parents like cutting each other like it's bob ooh. is going to be one very fucked up adult oh, oh yeah he's well. gonna make some therapist very wrong <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, well, yeah, he's gone through a terrible thing, but at least he ends up with Helen. And then you realize, oh, well, I guess he ends up with the other clone. So yeah. maybe not. Never never mind. <laughs> well, but again, we can argue that these clones are the quote unquote perfect or ideal versions of yeah. both Mark and Anna. Well, a- Helen is. Yeah. Not so much about Mark 2.0. <laughs> well, well, he. Yeah, 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 we'll, we'll yeah. get there. We'll, we'll, get, there. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> Okay, so Mark wakes up in the middle of the night and Anna is gone. And the person on the phone is Heinrich, who is played by Heinz Bennett. And he says that Anna is with him. 
So Mark ends up getting the number from Margie. She actually did know Heinrich's number all along. <laughs> but he he doesn't get the man in question. He gets Heinrich's mother, who is played by Johanna Hoffer. And she says that she hasn't seen Anna for weeks and that she misses her. And I think if you're casually watching this movie, this is the point where you're just like, what are we doing? Like, why do we have this Margie character? Is she going to be important? Why are we talking to the lover's mother? Is that going to be important? And I really feel like you just kind of have to go along with the ride the first time because a lot of this can feel a little nonsensical. Like, do we need these scenes in this movie? Well, I wonder if the mother is is, is in the historical context of it. Like, she's forgetting her son's sins because I don't know. Insert reason here i the margie stuff i have more trouble <laughs> figuring out because it seems like she wants to fuck mark but yes. it, it, it <laughs> seems inconsequential to the plot yeah well mini sam neil so you know but she also hates him you yeah know? yeah margie i think to me feels like maybe the externalization of how anna is actually feeling about mark like you know how your friends hear you bitch about your spouse all the time and they start to right. dislike them you know um but also i think mainly what works for me about her character existing is what happens to her at the end right. which we'll get to but yeah i don't but with heinrich's mother and that might we'll talk about that a little bit later, but I feel like there's a larger read of like what a good woman is, mm -hmm. you know, and this unconditional love thing. What you're willing to forgive. Exactly. But also that you're stuck with loving someone, you know? Yeah. But yeah, I think we could talk about that during her suicide scene. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, so Mark ends up having to care for Bob because Anna has completely fucked off. So he takes <laughs> Bob to school. This is where he, yes, meets uh, Helen for the first time. So that's Bob's teacher. And she is played by Isabella Adjani, only with very bright green eyes. And bangs. Bangs I would kill for. I love this look <laughs> for this character. And those green eyes are awesome. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've already gone to horny jail because of how we talked about <laughs> Sam Neill. But like... Isabel Adjani is so fucking gorgeous in this Ooh, movie. Yes. Uh, also, I love that, like, I mean, like, not to, like, be, oh, her titties are out all the time, but, like, her titties are out all the time because mm -hmm. it's normal because she doesn't cover them up with a sheet <laughs> when she's just finished <laughs> fucking someone. Right. <laughs> I mean, that to me feels especially European yes. to a certain regard, mm -hmm. but at the same time, yeah, it, this is an adult movie. And when adults have sex, they don't typically cover themselves with L-shaped sheets like they did in the 1950s. Yeah, and there's this feeling of like linen about her character, especially Helen, that's so like pure. I love the way these mm -hmm. characters are styled. And I was, okay, in my defense, I was tired, but I did not catch that this was Isabella Johnny at first. It it took me a second <laughs> watch as well. I'll fully cop to it, Jen. Same. Wait, he literally. I think. I mean, he doesn't say you look just like my wife, but he says no, something. He does. To, to he does say that. To pull her hair off. <laughs> but it's one of those things where you're like, did they just cast a very similar looking yes. actress? And I feel like this movie has already established that it's gonna fuck with my head. You know, it's like not to keep talking about Suspiria, but the first time I watched it, the subtitles weren't on, oh. and I was like, is this intentional, or am I supposed to understand what <laughs> what's mm -hmm. going on? And then I just realized I hadn't turned them on. So I'm sorry. But like it would be a completely different movie. But I would have loved this if Anna was like doing the long con as Helen the entire time. Like it actually oh was her, and she like reveals herself at the end and is like, "Oh, look, it's me!" <laughs> <laughs> oh, you thought I was time. perfect, bitch! I've been your fucked up wife this whole time. <laughs> 
Uh, speaking of uh, extreme characters, <laughs> so Mark ends up going to visit Heinrich, and our introduction to this character, I just have in my notes, he's very touchy. <laughs> this, yeah. okay, Joe, you pay me to this, Joe, but there's some homoeroticism in this. I... Heinrich, okay, it's not just this scene, because he does, you know, his little kung fu shit, mm -hmm. but the scene later when he's, like, spinning around in the stairwell, like, yes. this man... Well, that's an example of mania, I think, where yes. he is so out of control because Anna has left him that he's literally dancing in the hallway. But this, this sequence, mm -hmm. you, I'm so just like... Touching. Mark and I need to fuck. I mean, because yeah. after, after he hits Mark, they get into this embrace where they're both mm -hmm. holding each other by the neck. And it is it is threatening. And, you know, Mark tries to strangle Heinrich. Mm -hmm. But it almost seems like they're about to make out. Act, 100%. And Heinrich, okay, so I, I don't know if it's the actor. I don't know if it's the acting style. I don't know if it's just a combination of all of this. But he has a kind of flamboyance to him, like... We're introduced to him, and Mark is so buttoned up and straight laced, mm -hmm. and Heinrich has these plunging necklines in all of his clothes. They're very tight. You know, he's giving me Legally Blonde the musical gay <laughs> or European vibes, and I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> yeah, there's a very libertine feeling to him. Yeah. And well, he does feel very, like, polar opposite of Mark, too. But he, at the same time, though, he also does feel like that typical European uh, like lover-adulterer for your... He's a Lothario. Yeah, yeah. he's, yes, very much. And he's like, well, like, you know, like, just, uh, you have to be fine with it, man. Like, this is what she wants. And, <laughs> right. like, you know, I, I'm just giving her things you couldn't provide right but like, it's yeah fine. you just imagine him like sucking on a big old blunt <laughs> <laughs> i mean this is very important though right like it's significant that he's incredibly different from mark because that's why anna ended up going to him right like yeah. she, yes she was trying something different mm -hmm. so mark ends up getting his ass kicked and he goes home anna is there now so he wants to know about where she went the previous night they were in bed then she was gone he wants to know where did you go so this is the scene where he basically just berates her and then mm -hmm. she screams that he disgusts her and she slaps him and tries to leave and he reciprocates by slapping the absolute shit out okay. of her okay wait i have to tell you all so i mean i'm writing my notes during this right my notes go they fight again and she slaps him. A great moment where he's like, do it again. She tries to leave and he throws her on the ground and slaps her like two. And then I was like, two times. Oh, <laughs> no. Backspace. Uh, three. No, backspace. Four. Backspace. Five. Backspace. Six. <laughs> seven times. <laughs> so I was like, God times. damn it. Finish slapping her so I can finish my note. <laughs> yeah. And there's a like an intentional quality to this because I think it's like he's clearly not hitting her, which is great. Yeah. Um, don't hit her. But like, I think that makes it feel more intense because it feels so deliberate every time he does it, you know, but and you you see her reaction too. I will say, though, and like, I, I've never defend any kind of violence against a spouse at all, but I felt his frustration in this scene to the mm -hmm. point where, honestly, when he slapped her, I was like, fuck yeah. I was going to say, sometimes with this kind of situation, it's like you, you're you so frustrated, you feel like you're going to explode. And the right. only thing that you can think to do is something physical, even if it's something horrible. And I'm not, again, not condoning yeah. violence, but I, I agree. I understand. You know, that's why people punch walls or punch pillows, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think in the world of this film, I mean, again, none of us are defending domestic violence at all. Very bad. Don't do that. But 
in the in the the realms of this film it makes sense it does yeah well we can at least understand why they're both so frustrated but particularly him because he is our kind of focal point right Mm -hmm. and she isn't giving him answers like yes he's yelling at her so it's probably not making her inclined to just give him an answer but she's also very clearly dodging the question and or getting caught in lies so you can understand that frustration and i think part of what frustrates me about um mark in this movie is at a certain point like her answer is I just want a divorce. You just know? leave me alone. Exactly. Let me go. That sh- and that should be enough. And now I get from Mark's point of view, like, what can I do? What can I fix about myself? What can I do differently to try mm-hmm. to fix this? And she, but she is just clearly like nothing. It's well, over. He feels, he feels emasculated. Well, but I think he also feels owed an explanation. Mm-hmm. And that's the other thing. Like, if somebody wants to leave, it sucks, but it doesn't mean that you get to berate them so that you can understand something. That's yeah. their decision. Um, yes, but I think it's also valid to want an explanation. I mean, like, oh god, c- yes, of clear, course. Clearly, yeah. it's not going to be, a, and that's the thing, right? Because like, so many movies limited to, oh, you cheated on me, therefore that we're done. We're done. Th- right. This is not that. This is no. something much deeper, even systemic, maybe. And yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. It, yeah. It's it's not an easy explanation, but I think it deserves a conversation. I, I think I think wanting that is fine. I agree. And I think that these people are like at the height of their upset about this. And I feel like Mm -hmm. a couple of years down the road, they can sit at the cafe and face each other and she can give him answers. But right now she probably doesn't even know. And that's why she just comes up with you disgust me, which is probably not true. It's probably just leave me alone. And this is just the words that come out of her mouth. And I feel like the, the emotions are just so high that it's not necessarily rational. It's just, no, go away, leave me alone, you know? And, he, and I understand him not wanting to hear that. See, I uh, I disagree based on the reading that I'm going to offer. Oh. I think she does know what she wants, and he does discuss her because she already knows that she would rather be with the creature she's grooming. <laughs> Which is funny because that creature is pretty disgusting. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, here's the thing: the the, the 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 grossest shot in this film, I think, it's when the detective's partner comes, mm-hmm. and we get this. It's it's a full screenshot of the creature's face mm-hmm. with its oh, yeah. eyes, but it looks like a cone head of sorts. Yes. Yeah. That 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 to me, I mean, it, it is haunting. <laughs> mm-hmm. It looks like a sea creature where the eyes are on the sides. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Very much so. It's good stuff. But oozy too. How that becomes Sam Neil, I will never know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well you gotta feed it bodies. It's very yeah. hellraisery. I I is that what's is that what's happening? Yeah. She's fucking people and murdering them. She's Julia baby. Is she feeding them though? I just thought she was like, get out of my apartment. Yeah. I mean, think of how much blood is in that apartment when she walks well, into the true. room. Yeah, but yeah. she hides She's the got body bags parts. of body parts, people. She is murdering people. <laughs> yeah, I know she's murdering them because they find it. I didn't know she was doing it in service of restoring the creature. I never read it that way. She's not luring them. How else is the thing growing? I didn't Hello. think that was even like a, a thing I needed to explain to me. I just thought it was like, a, yeah, it's it's a the, the 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 more her and Mark separate, the more this creature grows. Okay. I mean, I'm not saying you're wrong, but I just I I never read it like that when I was watching it. I'm just saying my reading is right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, if we know by Hellraiser rules, which you know. Right. I think you've got Hellraiser on the brain, Joe. you got to pull yourself out of that well. 
I mean, do you? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So after the slap fest, Anna does end up leaving. We get this great sort of semi-tracking shot as Mark chases her down. I love this moment because Mm -hmm. up to now, sort of straightforward domestic drama very realist kind of grounded with some histrionic acting and then there's this moment where she stops in the middle of the street and we get this kind of magical sound cue Mm -hmm. and it almost pings her and she just leaves she's not interested in engaging with mark anymore he doesn't try to follow her because he is going to hire this private investigator detective played by carl during but from this like to me that is her she's so in touch with the creature that she's like gotta go yeah, this is when the madness starts to take over, but that's good. Well, because we get this it. kind of circular shot after she causes this truck to crash, which, right. by the way, rude. <laughs> Literally, their marriage imploding is now causing car accidents. Uh-huh. I mean, by the end of the film, it causes a lot of bombs to go off. Right. It causes a world war, apparently. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I, I had to rewind this because I was like, she just caused a car accident? But no, no, no. She, yes. she caused it. Well, she did, but, like, it wasn't like a collision with two. Like, it was the, the, a truck holding it swerves yes but holding a bunch of like fucked up cars anyway yes (laughs) (laughs) so yes mark ends up hiring this private investigator there's more fun chair stuff in that scene (laughs) if you're playing the drinking game (laughs) and then some amount of time passes we don't exactly know this is where we start to lose track of days and nights and so on so mark badgers a very silent anna as she's cutting meat in the Mm. kitchen so he just keeps asking her things and she doesn't answer but she well she doesn't answer verbally she is nodding she is shaking her head at one point she says yes and then she just puts the knife up to her neck and gives herself a little cut. So this is very much like a, a she is overwhelmed with emotion. Uh, mm-hmm. She needs to feel something. Mm-hmm. So she cuts herself. Or she just, she can't take it anymore. And she's so nonverbal to the way that he keeps berating her that this is her way of effectively shutting him up. Because he does end up having to dress her wound. Like she becomes almost like stupefied yeah like, comatose it's like that infantilization again you know yeah. like he has to take care of her yeah this scene i love this scene because the, the not to get dark again but the first time i ever engaged in self-harm which i am seeking treatment for but it was during my divorce and it was a moment like this where it was just like i can't i have to do something or i'm gonna explode and if you mm. just have something sharp next to you it's like that happens like i don't read this as a suicide attempt at all i read it as she had the knife in her hand and she needs this to stop in whatever way she can make it happen and i feel like it's a really honest moment you know so i get all of that so the the, the one thing i think might perplex people is that is mark turning the blade on his own arm is that him trying to simulate or replicate her experience like i'm trying to understand your point of view let me do this to myself to see how it feels for me i think so well, I could see like, I could also see it as like I need to feel something. Right. He's in the same boat as her. He also needs to feel something. But I don't think he does. If I wanted to be really uncharitable to Mark, I could possibly make this a reading of like I need to still be the victim here. You know, I need to be the one that is cared for. Okay. I don't know if that's a conscious thing, if that's actually what he's doing, but it's like this is this is a way to get the kind of care that he wants from her because he is just taking care of her. It's like bandaged his wound or her wounds and like been really caring with her and 
she stopped. So if he can keep this going, I wonder if he he's trying to kind of continue that vibe, you know? I could see it. I don't know. It's one of those things where it's like, I don't know. I like how you said not enough information. It just feels like he's kind of experimenting with this in that moment, you know? Like, right. what's going to happen if I do this? But that's know? what I'm saying, right? Like, like when I said earlier, you can't judge other people's relationships if you're not in the relationship. It almost uh-huh. applies to this, too, because we don't have all this information. Exactly, yeah. Like, we, we, we can infer all we want about this, but at the end of the day, I just feel very sad for both of these people, more so than I than I blame one over the other. I do, too. And I start to, like, lose track of them as actual characters within the film and more, like, channels for my own emotion. So, which is probably why a lot of my feelings about this are conflicted, because certain moments really hit me with one of them, and then another moment hits me with the other one, you know? Yeah. Well, we should note that this is also a turning point in the film, right? Like, for the most part, the film has been contained within the domestic space of this apartment. Mm -hmm. And from this moment on, we're going to spend a lot more time with the characters apart in Anna's new apartment, out on the streets, in the U-Bahn, and that kind of stuff. So from this moment, like, this seems to be a breaking point in their relationship, and it'll Mm -hmm. really catapult them into the back half of the film. Yeah. Okay, so Anna basically says she's leaving and she can't wait, even though he wants her to. And I love the visual image of Sam Neill sitting in what is clearly meant to be Bob's little (laughs) tiny desk in the middle of this kitchen. You're like, oh, he is such a child right now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Infantilization. Yeah. That should be our next drinking game, yeah. Oh, also involving a chair, so Mm -hmm. two shots. (laughs) So she bails, and the detective is ready, so he follows her from a grocery store to the Ubon, and there's an amusing moment where there's a drunk man on the subway car who just, like, steals and eats a banana from the groceries (laughs) from her. And to me, she's so either disconnected or disinterested in everything that isn't involving her getting back to this new apartment. So he chases her, more or less, like, he's the worst fucking detective (laughs) He's basically two feet behind her the entire way. And he leaves his hot dog outside the door. Yeah, like, uh oh, I've I've eaten half of this. Maybe I'll just come back for it in a little bit. Uh, Detective, that's a clue. She's going to find you. (laughs) She doesn't have to work too hard because he just busts in. That's true, yeah. So he says he's from the police and that he, I mean, he uses the lie of the wall because he wants to check the window to see if uh, she could see anything about a crime that purportedly happened. And he ends up searching the place until he gets to the point where he discovers something in a dark hallway. <laughs> and that is when Anna kills him with a broken wine bottle. Okay, I'm sorry, but my, one of my favorite line deliveries in this whole movie is when she drops the bottle and she just goes, oh, it broke. <laughs> <laughs> How else do you explain the murder weapon? <laughs> well, what's really funny too, because she offers him wine. He's like, ma'am, I'm on the job. And I'm like, but you're also gay. <laughs> i mean you're also kind of not on the job because you forced your way into this apartment like you were paid to trail her not to confront her yeah my whole reading of this is like get the fuck out of her apartment and you'll be Mm -hmm. fine you know well this to me almost feels psycho-esque where we're seeing the detective that we think is gonna start his case and instead he just gets brutally murdered because he's actually in way over his head yeah and we are too because this is the first time we really see mr tentacle well and also suddenly there's a murder like right 
five minutes ago we were yelling about how he discussed her and now suddenly she's murdering this man with a bottle like mm -hmm. it's a big shift well yeah this is when if you were like a horror fan you're like oh, i'm watching this boring ass marital drama what the fuck oh okay. uh, there it is. 15 minutes yeah. but i got it and i'm telling you i had fallen asleep by this point the first time i watched it and i was like i know that there's some octopus shit i know <laughs> what did i some miss tentacle stuff i know i was like <laughs> and then i watched the second half is very different it's slimy very banana town different. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so back at home, we have Helen checking on Bob. I feel like these are where some of the other brood comparison comes in, because that yeah. movie also has a very kindly school teacher who is going above and beyond and maybe looking to fuck dad. Mm -hmm. But uh, again, this is also really weird, though. So he's like, oh, hi, yeah, my kid's been in the bath for an hour. Right? Turning into a prune. Yeah. Um, yeah, because you can't leave kids in the bath for an hour. Mark. Also, the doorbell rings again. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. Hey, I'm going to go enter the door. Could you please um take my kid out of the bath and dry him off and put him in clothes? Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Bye. <laughs> it's <laughs> not okay. Yeah, that not is okay. one of the moments of parenting you can judge in this movie. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah yeah i don't know the whole helen thing she seems very like ideal woman like oh, this, is, this is what mark wants yeah that's why she's the perfect version for him because she's docile she's compliant mm -hmm. she will fuck him without complaint and she mm -hmm. will also then do the dishes and fix a meal she's a mary sue she's a mary yeah. sue mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> she's a clone mary sue though <laughs> So the person who has rung the bell is Heinrich, and he is looking for Anna, but he is he is so distraught that, yes, like, we get this over-the-top theatrical display where clearly, you know, he feels like he has been left behind. So it's at this point where I think, again, if you're not paying super close attention, like, I missed this on the first go, mm -hmm. but this communicates to you, oh, okay, so she was with Heinrich, and she's left him for something else oh she's fucking the creature yeah i did miss that on the first go round i think so i i haven't really talked too much about god in this plot <laughs> synopsis thus oh. far but we should probably bring it up because it will become quite important as we yes. move forward so they do end up having a bit of a not a debate but mark clearly takes pleasure in tormenting heinrich and there's talk of god in this exchange yeah, is this the moment where he says, for me, God is a disease? Mm -hmm. Which just like, oh, that line just speaks to my heart. Wait, I love it. Is this the same conversation where he's saying he's in a war against women? Yeah, so when when <laughs> Helen, I mean, basically, we get rid of Heinrich and we see that Helen has effectively become a mother and wife in this domestic space. And then she and Mark have this conversation and he says, yes, I'm in a war with women and Helen states something that's very important. She mm -hmm. says, I come from a place where evil seems easier to pinpoint when you can see it in the flesh. So she is coming from the same space as this creature. So, like, what place is it? And also, that's where you can literally put evil into a physical embodiment, which mm -hmm. is what we will see of Mark when we see the doppelganger. Um, I, I also love how she's like, don't fucking generalize women, which is like, the only thing women have in common is that they menstruate. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's why a lot of women in particular see Mark as a misogynist is because of the comments that he makes to Helen, who has literally done nothing but take care of him and his son. And he's like, oh, I just don't get women. They're all the same. And I hate I mean, them. his exact quote is, I'm at a war against women. They have no foresight. There's nothing about them. There's nothing about them that is stable. There's nothing to trust. They're dangerous. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Hey, he's a real winner, ladies. <laughs> I mean, he's very clearly fucked up by what is going on in his marriage. But yeah, the broad generalization of 51% of the population. It's a bit Oh, much. yeah. This is when I start to see Mark as like a representation of toxic patriarchy. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I actually did really like the exchange, though. So whenever they get into bed and she's like, mm-hmm. you know, teach your tits out. And... <laughs> she- She's like, you I'm don't sorry. have to make love to me, uh, giving him permission. Like, so like, hey, you don't have to if you don't want to. Like, oh, like she's like just rubbing her pussy on him, and he's like, I'm not trying to. Oh, you kids! <laughs> <laughs> the rom com for the ages. Uh, so gross. Mm, <laughs> just so beautiful is the problem. <laughs> <laughs> the the other bed scene though is the one um, with him and Bob. Yes. And it's this is like the most chilling line of the film to me. I don't know what it is about this that it just really got me is when he's asking who's prettier, mommy or Helen. And then he says, our mommy. And I was like, oh, it just like made my skin crawl. It's like he wants a mother slash wife that he can fuck. And not only that, he is teaching Bob to want that, too. Yeah, because really, at the end of the day, what what mark and anna are both on the hunt for is an ideal mate like Mm -hmm. this is basically species circa (laughs) 1981 yeah and i mean i have larger thoughts about that i think for later but i think they're both trying to create it and Mm -hmm. both end up where they started you know yeah i think the difference is that mark doesn't have to put in the work because his (laughs) ideal version is already there where anna had to go out and create hers from scratch Mm mm-hmm so remember that detective he gay and his partner <laughs> has showed up so we're introduced to zimmerman who is played by sean lawton and he shows up and says hey so my partner has disappeared and i need the address because you're the last person who saw him where did he go so he ends up going to this apartment that anna has been staying in and she's basically cleaning up a giant pool of blood on the floor and he gets very intimidated and that's when he goes into the bedroom and he sees this bloody tentacle organism on the bed um it's bloody but like is it pus what is this white fluid that is coming out of this thing it is well what is the the white fluid coming is it (laughs) semen is Mm. it pus Mm. is it a combination of the two yes yes you know what we don't have enough information trace so i guess we'll just infer. (laughs) just lap it all up yeah i mean it's gooey it's gross it's gotten bigger it's more like at this point it's actually kind of sitting somewhat upright it's starting to take more of a human shape compared to what it was when we saw it in the hallway before so it is evolving and getting bigger and stronger and she's growing a dick those tentacles are just moving around Mm -hmm. yeah it looks so disgusting Mm -hmm. just in a sea of blood i know so anna ends up saying something very significant at this point she actually says he 
So when she's talking about the creature, she's using almost like a capital H. Mm -hmm. And it's significant because if you go back and replay some of the conversations that she has with Mark earlier in the film when he's asking about infidelity and whether she's been sleeping around, she talks about he and we're meant to assume that it's Heinrich. And you realize, oh, this is the he she was mm -hmm. referring to. She had already moved on past Heinrich at that point. Mm -hmm. She wanted not either of them. You know, she wanted to grow her own ideal mm -hmm. man. Yeah, I think when I, a, a lot of me trying to piece together this movie is like, what do I see the creature representing? And I still, right. I, I can see about three or four different things but for me it just represents like freedom and mm -hmm. like the freedom to be monstrous if you want to and i feel like that's what she wants and I, i've got more thoughts about that for some things she says later but mm -hmm. yeah yeah it, it but she is gendering it now and she is yeah. yeah and i don't mean that in a gender like i don't know gender is a construct and it's an identity but she she is identifying this as a partner for her yeah, she is interested in men as a sexual partner, and as a result, she is looking for that ideal mate in this thing, and therefore it is a he. Yes, and I think until this moment, you could possibly read this as maybe a child she's growing or some kind of like mm. offspring or something, but I think this is the moment where we see she is moving towards a relationship with this slimy tentacled thing. Oh, that's interesting. It never occurred to me that, yeah, like she could have been growing a child. But I guess everything is pointed to the fact that she's looking to not be with Mark, but it doesn't mean she's actually looking to replace Bob. She just doesn't seem to care much about Bob. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Which, I mean, I don't know. Sure. If you don't want to have the kids, kid is don't monosyllabic. Have kids. <laughs> he he barely <laughs> says anything in this movie. I know. Yeah. I was contrasting him with the little kid we just watched in fear. And I was like, man. The kid. Bob's got nothing on that kid. <laughs> <laughs> that kid's the best kid ever. He really is. <laughs> fear, the the fear movie that just came out, or like fear with like Reese no, Witherspoon? with Marky Mark. With okay. Marky yeah. Mark, yeah. Okay. And the best little brother ever. Sorry, that yes. was a strange tangent. <laughs> <laughs> So all this to say, this is also a creature she is willing to kill for. So she ends up beating Zimmerman in the head a bunch, and then she shoots him a bunch of times with his own gun. This is when I started to fall in love with her, because these deaths are so brutal and so visceral mm -hmm. and so personal, and I just yeah. love it. Well, they're messy. They're messy. Like, like, they're messy, they're messy. yeah. <laughs> this is how I believe a real murder would go. Uh, 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 uh -huh, exactly. Non yeah, a non-premeditated murder would go just like this. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, the, this isn't Hannibal, where everything is gorgeous and it looks like a food, <laughs> you know, spread shot for a magazine or something. It's like, e I'm gonna do this thing, and it's gonna just make a a huge fucking mess and i didn't plan yep. for it and oh god what am i doing <laughs> yeah and i have this bottle in my hand and oops now it's a weapon yeah mm -hmm. well okay so joe let me ask you a question then because you're positing that she is feeding these bodies to the, yes. the creature so what if the detectives had not come to the apartment do you think she would have needed to go get bodies or mm -hmm. do you think it would have just stayed small I mean, there's that bar right across the street. I oh, fully true. believe that she was going to do whatever it took to get him to full mark put size. some star earrings on and some yep. orange eyeshadow. <laughs> I guess for me, the more human the creature becomes is a result of the less, like, of the wedge being driven between Mark and Anna. Like, the more their relationship dissolves, the healthier this creature becomes. 
I mean, maybe, but you're also discounting the fact that there's a shot where there's like eight plastic bags worth of bodies in the hallway. Yeah, like, I have visual evidence to support. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, we, we, yeah, we we see a freezer full of body parts. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that both things can be true too, because sure. I, yeah, I, yeah. Trace, I think I kind of feel that too. Like when I think about what this creature is at this point, it is not Mark in quotation marks, you know. And like the further she goes away from Mark, the more she goes to this, and her desire to have this thing for herself is what is feeding it. But I also think the bodies are feeding it too. So it's like maybe a <laughs> physical versus metaphysical thing, you know. Hey, the sausage gets made in a lot of ways and we don't always have to understand <laughs> i mean the other thing that we're not acknowledging is that the movie is into the back half where things are incredibly surreal at different yes. moments right like trying to parse it out as though this movie is straightforward and giving us all of the answers is a bit of a fool's errand so mm-hmm. i'm sorry trace it was very dismissive of me to say that because you could easily say, oh, well, in the world of the film, they have been separated for longer and this thing happens to be getting bigger. Hence, correlation, so on. Joe, you don't have to apologize. That. You've been a way bigger dick over something way less, <laughs> way, way more trivial than this. <laughs> and you've been wrong about way more things than this. This too, is a so. discussion. Because truthfully, and maybe it's because, like, to me, like, like that, that M.O. is exclusively Hellraiser, even though this came right. first. But, like, mm-hmm. I just, I, I never truthfully even considered that when watching this both times. I kind of agree, too. And I think because um, they both intrude on the apartment, like, there right. is not a victim who doesn't. Because when I look at what that murder is, or her motive for the murder, it's get the fuck away from me. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. It does feel like a crime, almost a passion, right? Yeah, exactly. But it also, like, works out. She just feeds him to the the guy on her bed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we cut back to Mark, and he comes home to discover a film that Heinrich has left on his doorstep. And I think, again, this is one of those scenes where people could watch it and say, why is this in here? What is it serving in terms of purpose? So Mark ends up watching this, and the first part of the tape is we get to see Anna teaching a ballet class, and she more or less abuses a young girl by forcing her to adopt a particular pose and stay in it, even though it's clearly painful to her. So I will confess, and this is embarrassing, the first time I watched this, I didn't realize this was a tape that Mark was watching. (laughs) Same. So so I kept being like, why does she keep looking at the camera? This is Uh really weird. Okay, I'm going to dictate this monologue that she gives. No, don't. <laughs> like, no, but because what what does this mean? I, okay. Well, let me explain it to you. Okay, I'll tell yeah, go you. Ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> she gives him a giant ass monologue about sisters, faith, chance, and it's borderline unintelligible. Correct. Yeah, she's definitely working through something, and it takes her a bunch of different tries, which is why I begged you not to read it because <laughs> you would be doing it in for my like monotone voice. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, okay. So the the short version of this is that Anna is musing at length about something called Sister Faith and Sister Chance. And uh, the way that I and Wes, uh, the person I keep referencing Mm -hmm. on the article, read this is that this is the life philosophy that she has adopted that is driving her recent change in action. So Wes says, she initially separates the part of herself that does bad things from the rest of herself. Chance is the sister that allows her to act so cruelly to her husband, while Faith is the sister that causes her to feel guilty for doing so and to entertain the possibility of repairing her marriage. 
Her ultimate belief is that evil is the true and pure reality, and that good exists only as an extension of evil. So it's like you take the inverse, right? Where we think, oh, well, there's good stuff, and then by by virtue of that, there's like also evil. Whereas mm-hmm. Anna has actually flipped this around, and the world is chaotic evil all the time, and good is just kind of a byproduct of that. So the crux of her argument is that evil is the natural order of the world and that's how she justifies doing what she's doing right now that's why it isn't a big deal for her to kill these people is this when she says i can't exist by myself because i'm afraid of myself yes yeah okay. and, and she's also afraid of hurting mark and you're like oh okay so i see that you know she she has this philosophy that would seem to exclude him because she knows that she wants to be with him the the creature but also at the same time she she doesn't want to be by herself like she's she's really torn up about how exactly she wants to proceed right my favorite quote in this is the one she ends with which is goodness is only some kind of reflection upon evil that's all it is and yeah it's again it's like oh yeah like you only think of what's good as in relation to evil but it isn't necessarily like what is good really and of Mm -hmm. course we can always answer those questions because like we all have morals or what if you flip it around and it's like, well, why do we always default to saying that good is the natural order? Mm-hmm. Well, it's like, you know, because good lends itself to those um, the ends justify the means arguments, right? And mm. so, I, I don't know. Philosophy is always very fascinating to me. I, I, I don't I don't truly really understand it because philosophy is like just, it just goes into it's these. It's a lot. Yeah, it's a yeah. lot. But I, I, I've always found philosophical conversations very fascinating. No, I agree. And I think this quote, I can't exist by myself because I'm afraid of myself because I'm the maker of my own evil. That to me, that was the piece of me understanding what the creature is, because I feel like the creature is representing this evil that she is wanting to create for herself. And I started thinking a lot about what what is evil what is good in the context mm-hmm. of what this movie is saying about women. And again, when I reference women, I'm not talking about biology. I'm talking about an identity that is either chosen or imposed upon you. And I think if I look at sister faith and sister chance, like chance is the evil side and faith is the good side. And I cannot divorce that from my understanding of religion. So this is a personal take and probably will not be what a lot of people read from this, but like I I see this faith as the good woman and the woman that God or this Jesus statue that she's going to stare at is telling her Mm -hmm. she's supposed to be. And I see the evil or the chance or the chaos as who she is or wants to be. And it's this freedom that she's trying to go towards. And when I look at this, this scene with the ballerina, this was another key like puzzle piece for me it's like she is holding this ballerina in this position that makes her extremely uncomfortable it's painful and but she's holding her there because that is an image of perfection and when she's doing that she's staring down the camera and she's and i'm not even sure who made this film but she's like see this is what you want this is what you want from me and this is what it causes and then Mm -hmm. as soon as she lets her go the ballerina like runs screaming off just like what she's gonna do in the subway later so it's like Uh, the ballet scene is like a microcosm for her entire existence that's that's how i read it i can Mm -hmm. understand like like, I, that might be i think it's where her crisis of faith begins right like she mm-hmm. realizes i'm doing things the way that they're meant to be done but it's causing pain maybe right, pain exactly and and evilness are subjective terms maybe we've gone about it the whole wrong way and that's why she then yeah right you know we we get the scene where she goes and she sees jesus on the cross took me forever to realize that this is a flashback <laughs> 
same. Yep. Yes. Okay, I'm not well, feeling so bad about well, no. me getting confused. Oh, no, b- believe me, was I reading the Wikipedia plot summary whilst <laughs> I was watching this movie to make sure I was like up to date? Yes. And <laughs> during this part, it's like, oh yeah, um, uh, she tells Mark that she had a miscarriage, and I was like, what? Mm-hmm. Where was that in this movie? <laughs> yeah, and we're yeah. about to see it. Yeah. Ooh, yep. Yeah, and that was like the one thing I knew about this movie, which is I think mm-hmm. partly informing the my reading of this goo is possibly a child thing that was was a misconception. But well, well, no, I think you're right because it starts as a child mm-hmm. and then she grows it from there. Mm. She feeds it and nurtures it like a mother. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about this. This is easily the most infamous scene when you talk about this film. This is what people think of when you see still images from this film. This is typically what comes up. So it's Isabella Johnny going into the U-Bahn station early in the morning and having, I think it's about a five minute full on fucking meltdown. I can honestly tell you the first time I saw this, I was gobsmacked at the physicality of this performance. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't believe that people didn't just like fucking stand up and cheer Except for the people at Con. <laughs> it is... It, it, unhinged is not the right word, because I feel like unhinged has a negative connotation to it. This is a... I think you can read this in negative terms, though. Like, I don't think that's a bad thing. Well, but to me, this is a woman expressing everything. Like, she is getting mm-hmm. everything. Like, it, 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 it honestly feels like how I was when I was a child, when, I, when you have a temper tantrum, right? Like, how right. do you get all of this anger and frustration out? You like jump you you frail your arms about like this is a an adult having essentially a temper tantrum but that's tied into an extreme amount of grief yeah and it feels so cathartic it does Mm -hmm. feel like she has lost control or or she's given up control and she's like this is this is me and she's doing it alone Mm -hmm. and i think what is as I've looked at this scene so much, and one, I think this is one of the all-time best screams I think I have ever heard. Like, these mm-hmm. screams are just impeccable. But I think the key for me is that there is a cut. She's, like, flailing around the floor. And I say flailing in awe of her, mm-hmm. but she's so messy. And she's yes. got shit everywhere. She's smashed all of her groceries. And then there's a cut to her when the actual miscarriage becomes visible yeah. and mm-hmm. she looks more put together. And so I imagine that's probably just film, you know, just filming process. Right. But to me, I read the flailing as the inside representation of her emotional turmoil. Yeah. And I read, yeah, the outside is like, you know, she's women. composed. And- exactly. Because we're socialized to keep our emotions on the inside. And so I watch this and I'm like, Oh my god, this is this is how it feels to be just at war with your emotions and to not have any outlet to express it, to have to hold that ballerina pose over mm-hmm. and over and over again and your body is just screaming but you can't show it. Yeah. Right. I do wonder if some people would watch this and be like, well, this isn't very realistic. No one would actually behave this way. But again, I, oh that's God, not the shot the fuck. That's not the <laughs> point of this scene. Right. Like the, the, this scene is very tragic. This to is me. the centerpiece. This is how oh, yeah. Anna became who she is throughout this entire movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Like realism is not really on this movie's uh, uh, bank account. <laughs> that, that, we're not dealing not. with realism here. 
But no. I do want to say, and I don't know, I feel like this is going to be maybe a little controversial too, but this, Ooh. considering the fact that this is about a miscarriage, she mm -hmm. identifies it as a miscarriage, as yep. a person that has had a miscarriage, like this feels authentic. It doesn't necessarily feel accurate, but like what it is, is your body is like tearing itself apart to mm -hmm. get this thing out of you and it hurts and like you're maybe rolling around and screaming on the floor and then the blood starts and this mm -hmm. to me is the most accurate or i'm sorry authentic i think is a better word authentic right. representation of what it actually is to have a miscarriage there's a little more white goo than right, <laughs> I right. think happens, but but, but, you know. but I, I I actually didn't see any comparisons of this scene to Mark's earlier scene when he's going through his withdrawals, his bender after he's he's realized mm -hmm. his marriage is over. I mm -hmm. think they're comparable. This is obviously much more intense and very gender yeah. specific, but they're very. I, I think it's fascinating to see how the man and the woman like deal with these horrible emotions. Like they both go through something. Hers is just a bit more expressive. Yeah, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it's she's alone, and yes. Mark is doing it, and the maid comes in. He's like, he's not embarrassed. He's just like, how long have I? Well, because he's here? a man. What does he have to be embarrassed about? Exactly. exactly. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think you could also read this through a bit of a gendered line, just in in the expressiveness of the performance, right? Like all of the emotions, all of the the gender politics all of the the role playing that women have to put on that they keep bottled up mm -hmm. is so much grander than what men have to deal with you know mark can just shrug it off and be like yeah i hit the bottle a little too hard don't look at me that way whereas mm -hmm. it's like oh an empty subway station cool let me just get out all of the shit that i've been holding inside because mm -hmm. it's a lot yeah. yeah, and this is a safe place for me to do it because nobody else can see me because right. that's not allowed. Because it's so fucking messy. And kudos yeah. to them. They did this in two takes. Most of what we see is the first take. The second take right. was just a, a formality in case, like, the lab fucked shit up. I mean, yeah. it is just phenomenal to watch. It's, it's like, I had heard about this scene before, but to actually yeah. experience it is just... It, it just is gorgeous. It's gorgeously messy. And I think that's what I take away the most from this movie is just the desire to be okay with messiness, you know, mm -hmm. and imperfection and, and darkness and chance and evil. And I think the scene really shows her just like saying, I don't fucking care anymore. I'm going to just let yeah. it all out. Yeah. 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 And it changes her forever. Like it does. Yeah. She can't go back. Yeah. So in Wes's reading, she is miscarrying Sister Faith. So the the good version of her approach to life, uh, that is is now gone. So only Sister Chance remains. So the two sisters seem to be two aspects of her personality. It's not as simple as good or bad, but it is a similar concept. Mm -hmm. And they maintain that balance and make Anna human. So when she miscarries Sister Faith, she loses that faith, that compassion, that love, right. that hope. So all the things that were kind of keeping her marriage together, keeping her grounded in the real world. And after the miscarriage, all that remains is Sister Chance. So this evil personified, the willingness to get messy and just embrace the things that you actually want, make you go after what you want. Why does Chance have to be the evil one? Well, if you're <sighs> looking at evil as being bad, which yeah, well, doesn't that, necessarily yeah. have to be. You know, because you could look at faith and good as 
good within the structure of this control that she doesn't well, want anymore. I, you know? I guess I just think that faith has religious connotations to it. So it's like, it does, oh, yeah. I do think so too. Yeah. yeah. So f- faith is the quote unquote good one because it's tied to religion, whereas chance mm-hmm. is the more chaotic one. Yeah. Hey, yeah. when I hear chance, I immediately think of the Wheel of Fortune, which is a tarot card, which is <laughs> it was like, oh, it's it's like the unknown, you know, the indefinable. Right. When when I look at faith, that is at least from my ex- my experience, it's a structure. Well, you know? and, well, and that's the thing, right? Because right? because what, what what is religion? I mean, like like but but to to ensure us like a, 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 a something after we die, right? Like there's mm-hmm. an order to that that mm-hmm. that gives a lot of people comfort. And yeah. while it doesn't necessarily give me that, I get the reason and the for the existence of religion. But chance is like, oh yeah, like with the, there's, it's it's like a lack of science to it, right? It's it, it's mm-hmm. just fate, or no, not fate actually, because fate is predetermined. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would say the other way of looking at faith is if you do align it with religion there's a certain structuredness to it but it's also i think i've said this before it's a little ritualistic right Mm -hmm. so like there isn't a lot of opportunity to do your own thing you know you're Mm -hmm. you're meant to act in a certain way it's very strict and rigid in some capacities so if you think about anna trying to brush up against that or break free of the confines right like maybe this is truer to who anna actually is when she lets go of what society and mark and marriage and femininity expects of her Mm-hmm. and i think that's the way i feel it you know because when i look at the word faith there's also like there's a promise and it's believing in something you don't have proof of and if i looked at the gooey creature that is a tangible thing but it's also Mm. she doesn't know what it's going to become yet so it could be the man of her dreams or it could be an evil monster that looks just like mark but she knows what mark is and i feel like for a long time she's been hanging on to this promise that mark will eventually make her happy like this i have faith that this is what i'm supposed to do and by it's better to take the chance to go with the one that you don't know because maybe he turns out right. Exactly. I, I've kind of flirted with a reading of this. I don't think I actually buy it, but that she miscarried Mark's baby. I know that that does mm. not make sense with the logic of the film, but that her body is rejecting Mark's system of control over her. I feel like that feels a little mean to Mark, but just the system of control that she has put her faith in and her body is rejecting that. And that's when the goo emerges in her life. And she's like, Hey goo, I can maybe take this and make my life something that actually makes me happy. You know? Right. Could work. Yeah. Yeah. So our flashback ends (laughs) after all of this. It's like, Oh, right. We're, we're still Oh yeah, and this other. Oh, there's a like lot of shit to still left. go down too. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard, right? Because this is such a standout moment, and oh, then you realize, mm-hmm. oh, okay, we we've, we've got to go back to what's happening in the present. I guess. <laughs> right. So it's interesting because this seems to also fundamentally change Mark, even oh, though mm-hmm. technically he just heard this story, like this was her recounting it to him. It changes something in him and he becomes a little like he almost loses his sister faith as well, because in the very next scene, he gives Heinrich's mother the address of where Anna has been staying. And it's very clearly because he wants to send Heinrich to his doom. Well, but also bear in mind, though, after this after this flashback ends, he tells her for the first time ever, you look vulgar to me. Mm-hmm. You you look ugly. You've hardened. Yeah. Which sounds really harsh. And if I think I were to read that charitably towards him, I could see maybe what he actually means is I actually see you. 
you know right they I see really you do. as is not as not helen is not the ideal version of who i want you to be but this messy yes flawed woman oh, you're a frail human being yeah exactly which <laughs> i mean to me like in my relationship has been the key is like we have seen each other at our absolute lowest points and we still love each other you know mm-hmm. and i feel like there are some relationships that can't get through that. Uh, you're still not over that miscarriage thing? Ew, gross. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> oh, oh, man. I could tell you some stories. That's for another more depressing pod. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Tune in to Depression After Dark. When we'll unpack all of it. <laughs> I mean, you joke, but I would start that pod. <laughs> <laughs> Jen, no, you've got too much to do already. <laughs> that is absolutely true. <laughs> All right, so we follow Heinrich as he goes to this apartment. He basically sexually assaults her because she is not into it. She's almost out of it. Mm-hmm. And then he even tries to offer her drugs, and it's super uncomfortable. We're coded to suggest that they do end up having sex, and then he discovers the creature. And I love this this new moment. Like, I talked earlier about how Anna almost seems to have that cue that oh the creature needs her and she just abandons mark and and runs away after causing the car accident and here it almost seems like the creature blinds heimrich because he can't see anymore i love his when he looked because again in if this was real like how would you react to something like this right oh yeah nobody reacts in a normal way but but he just goes this is a joke (laughs) (laughs) not like oh my god what the fuck the production design this thing is astounding where did you get the materials (laughs) what is that creamy white stuff Did the guy who worked on the alien head create this? Because that is chef's kiss. Did you get Rambaldi? Bitch, did you get Rambaldi here? (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, So she stabs him in the chest. Yeah, that's how I would react to seeing that monster is just get a little stabby with him. (laughs) But uh, it, it doesn't kill him. He manages to get out of the apartment and to the bar across the street. So he calls Mark. And this is where Mark finally decides he's going to come to the apartment, see for himself. He finds bodies in the fridge. He ends up meeting Heinrich in the bar. And he's basically set a little trap. So he ends up drowning Heinrich in a toilet and making it look like he has died in an accidental drug overdose. Um, I'm sorry, though, but like (laughs) to to, to lure Heinrich to the stall that he's in, he Mm -hmm. pulls a dirty ass bird feather Mm -hmm. and uses it to gag himself to make him vomit and i just use your fingers like a regular person can you not just fake making gagging sounds like i just (laughs) (laughs) he's like i'm sick help no no no! you had to stick a dirty ass bacteria ridden feather down your throat doesn't he like consider a shoe also? <laughs> He's like holding he uses a feather the shoe in the to shoe. plug it up so oh, that there's water in there. Okay. I think I was just mesmerized by the position of the hole in this toilet. <laughs> I mean, tr- truthfully, watching this the first time, you're just like, what the fuck is this guy doing? <laughs> uh huh. Well, so Trace, I'm interested. This is probably a queer reach, but I was like, oh, we're luring mm. a man into a bathroom and then even into a toilet stall. Well, I mean, again, I think you can really read the relationship between Mark and Heirich as coded queer, be- if mm-hmm. only because of their first meeting. I mean, y'all, mm-hmm. I- I'm sorry, it is not a reach to be like, they they need to fuck. Like, they, they need to right. get something out of their system. And so, yeah, we have this public restroom, which is not an uncommon place for uh, uh, down-low hookups. Yep. But instead of an orgasm, it's a murder. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. There you go. Easy peasy. 
<laughs> this is one of the most upsetting murders, I think. Like it, it just is so dirty and so grimy, and well, it reminds me of <laughs> of the train spotting scene, you know, because this toilet is just so disgusting. But also, yeah. like accidental drug overdoses, like he's gonna have a big smash wound from right that because he got hit seat, in the right? face with the top of the toilet. Right. I mean, I don't know what forensics were like in eighty one, but. You know, feels like it feels like a smart person could put some stuff together. I mean, admittedly, Mark isn't thinking super rationally because he also true. then just blows up an entire apartment building. Is well, he supposed sorry, to be apartment. an international spy, though? Yeah, like, this is true. Be a little I, better. I, I think part of this is that he's not thinking clearly, but also he seems to almost have an understanding that the story is running its course. Like he's running out of time. Yeah. At this point, he's actually just covering for Anna. Yeah, they do seem to kind of drift back together at this point and kind mm -hmm. of, you know. Isn't that what people in toxic relationships do? Like they, they yes. separate and then they're like, oh, we're just going to get back together because this is the easier way to do things. But even though yeah. it's bad for both of them. Hey, I got to put my Christmas tree up somehow. So come back <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and I'm running yeah. out of money. Exactly. But I mean, you're you're exactly right. Like it, it is. You don't like something Mark says, you don't flip a switch and it's over. It yeah. like there is, especially when you have a child together and you've been together for enough time to have a five year old, like there's a lot of strong feelings and it's really hard to just cut all of that off, you know? Yeah. So he ends up going home and he discovers that Marge's body has been <laughs> dumped unceremoniously in the elevator. Her throat <laughs> has been slit. And that is in part because she has seen Anna's creation. She knows what's up. So we end up packing this body up into some Dexter plastic and <laughs> just casually tossing it into the boot of his car, which is like, okay. See, and I like, th this is what I was referring to when I said this is the reason I think Mar Margie exists in this movie for me is that she is mm -hmm. not only killing men or male identifying people right. in service of this he this thing you know she mm -hmm. she's gonna kill anybody because what she says is like i want it i need it you know i have to protect it yeah i i think it's a little bit flimsy in a film mm -hmm. that has done pretty well at justifying why certain characters have been included but i think that the end goal which you just described jen is on point so like i don't love margit as a character but yeah she's not a character yeah she is more like a caricature and and i mean if we're looking at her as an externalization of anna's feelings maybe mm -hmm. this is cutting off her connection to her life outside of this creature you know right but yeah she feels <laughs> she's a know, little thin yeah. she could have lifted out i think <laughs> <laughs> So before he leaves, we also get a phone call from Heinrich's mother who is like, hey, I sent him to that place that you gave me the address for and I haven't heard from him. Is everything OK? And Mark's like, bye, gotta go. <laughs> so he ends up delivering Bob to Helen in the middle of the night because Helen is still the best person in this movie and she <laughs> objects to nothing because she's perfect. Yeah. And then Mark ends up discovering Anna having very loud sex with the creature. So, folks, if you did not watch The Untamed here, is that double bill scene? Because apparently getting fucked by a tentacle monster is the absolute best. This thing is... Because you you don't see the thing's face. But it is clearly no. the, the, the upper half of it is a torso. It is Mark's yes. torso and head. Mm -hmm. So that mm -hmm. is, well, not Sam Neill probably. But like someone that's... It's a, a puppet that's meant to look like Sam Neill. With its yep. bottom half being Ursula. And <laughs> it is, there's, man, there's just something about tentacles. I don't know. 
It's gross. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, gross. I'm not a fan. What's wrong? It's party on the top and calamari <laughs> on the bottom. What's so, the problem? What, what, what is? Because he he confronts her while she while this thing is inside of her, mm-hmm. and she just keeps going almost. Almost. almost because almost. he's almost ready and she's also she's almost coming. yeah i was gonna say yeah almost because she's almost about to come she's, she's she's almost there i mean trace in your reading shouldn't this be the moment where she's like almost like oh your your closeness to this is like it's just enough to put me over the edge and make this thing perfect yeah 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 yeah, he's he is almost you. Now, I wanted to ask, do y'all read this as consensual? Because when I look at oh, I her, the position of her arms, I think the first time it looked like the thing was holding her down. I I, oh. I think I do read it as consensual, but I also read a synopsis where they were talking about him allowing her to escape, which may hmm. have meant escape the apartment. So I don't I, know. I, I I did consider it as rape when I watched it, but mm. I, I actually I wouldn't turn down that reading, and I would glad well maybe not right now watch it again, but I would gladly watch it again <laughs> with like with that in mind to see how I view mm. that scene. Yeah. So here's an interesting idea: Can you inverse it, and can you say it's consensual on the creature's side when it's not fully formed and maybe isn't fully developed? Mm. And in that way, is his entire part in this relationship been coerced, which leads to do you actually want to be in a relationship with a person who is independent from you and may challenge you? Or do you just want to be in a perfect creation Yeah, right. that is never going to challenge you? It's like the body and the mind, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's always the problem with mad scientist stories when people are making kind of like Franken people it always ends up becoming a sex thing, right? Yeah. They want to mm-hmm. fuck the creature. <laughs> and you're just like, okay, but that creature is something that you made. You're basically its parent. And also, does it even have the capacity to say yes or no? I don't mm. even want to think about the germs and the bacteria that are inside <laughs> of her right now. I mean, you asked what that white shit was. If it ain't semen. It's pus. <laughs> <laughs> that's a yeast infection. That's all I'm saying. It, it Yes. <laughs> Get some azo <laughs> stat. Ew. Look, she needs cranberry juice. She does. But like cranberry juice, not cranberry juice cocktail. Cranberry exactly. juice. Exactly. Like the hardcore, like no additive stuff. Like the, yeah. the, the bitter ass cranberry juice. Yeah, it like burns your, your throat out. Yeah. <laughs> but it works. <laughs> you gotta do what you gotta do. If you wanna have sex with the tentacle monster, I know. you gotta drink the hard cranberry juice. I will, fuck I will a monster. say cranberry juice is one of those things where like the first time I had like real cranberry juice, I was like, ew, but like I I, I was like, I wanted more of it. So I just kept mm. drinking it and like cringing oh. after every single swallow. But I love cranberry juice. It's just like it's like I'm a masochist. Okay, I'm going to give you a recipe that's going to change your life. Okay, so you take, well, maybe for people with female genitalia, um, <laughs> you take a quarter of cranberry juice, two parts prune juice, and oh. one part seltzer water. It sounds mm. gross, but the cranberry juice cuts the sweetness of the prune juice, and the prune juice cuts the uh, tartness of the cranberry juice. Interesting. Man, that's going to keep your system just running. And so you're going to have a very clean <laughs> urinary tract, and you're going to be shitting everywhere, is what you're saying. I mean, <laughs> I'm a lady, but... <laughs> Wait, so party in the front and not party in the back, then? I No, that's the thing. I may not have female genitalia, but it'll be really good for cleaning out my bussy, is what you're saying. 
And moving on. <laughs> Sorry, you could just edit that whole thing nope, out. Nope, none of oh, that. No, we're editing out a bussy. We keep bussies in this show. <laughs> That's true. There's, there's been some bussy talk. <clears throat> I apologize for everything. All right. <laughs> Let's take the mood down, shall we? Yeah, so... we're about to get dark. So Mark ends up uh, visiting Heinrich's mother, and she has elected to die by suicide, so she's going to overdose by pills because she realizes that Heinrich is not coming back. Okay, this is whatever, but the whole thing is... <laughs> this suicide is whatever. Who cares about this old fucking lady? Because before, they, they have the conversation, and she is real. she's like, I, I went to the apartment, and it was a, it was a blown up. And I, 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 I saw Heinrich's body, but his soul wasn't there. Yeah. What? What? Yeah, that was that was curious to me. Well, is this more about the idea of faith, where she believes that the person, like his physical body, is gone, but the person who was her son has ascended or moved on? So she wants to go there. She seems like a very religious person. And so I think that definitely makes sense. But I think what trips me up is where is a place that his soul is? Where could she have gone mm -hmm. to find his soul and it wasn't there? You right. know? But I think when I'm looking at like maybe a more theoretical read of this, and I also just happened to watch infinity pool and there's a little bit of like mm -hmm. the concept Devils. of, of, <laughs> well, yeah, of the, uh, the body and the mind and can they exist separately from each other? And in a film about like creating a monster and possibly a clone, I think, mm -hmm. you know, that, that is something to consider. And she's talking about what she loves about her son, you know, and she, like, she loves, him despite his chance well so know? is this supposed to mirror then her, her the way she feels about her son and what she's willing to do when her son dies is this yeah. meant to mirror uh anna and mark's parenting i think to me i think she feels like the grown-up or the the elderly version of helen and mm. the version that mark wants anna to be for him you know i feel like right. she's talking about unconditional love and yeah. she's talking about like well he's got a wife and kids and she says this thing about like well i i liked his old his wife because he loved her and i liked anna because he loved her or he had these feelings for her right. and I, I liked him because he brought them into my life and i didn't have a choice and so i think like it, it feels like a parallel to me like she cannot divorce her son you know this mm -hmm. is this this is unconditional love that has bound her to him and i feel like anna doesn't seem to have that same attachment to bob but also she is actively trying to cut that recreate attachment it. to mark yeah and right. recreate it with something that might be that's probably going to be a little more like heinrich but also maybe a little that hopefully will be the perfect man you know yeah because really if you think about it nearly every character in this movie Apart from Helen, because she doesn't seem to have a lot going on, if we're being honest. <laughs> yeah. And Bob, who is monosyllabic and loves a bath. <laughs> All of the adults in this movie are so codependent, like they are willing to die for the person that they love the most, right? Like, we're about to get Anna sacrificing herself, and then when she dies, Mark dies by suicide, and, you know, the mom is doing it right here, like... Everybody is just looking for that person that is so special, like the one thing that will, I guess, make their existence worth living. And if you lose that, 
is that existence worth living any longer? But see, I wonder even if, that, if that's then uh, uh, the director's suicidal thoughts keeping in, where it's like, there's, well, no, there's nothing left to live for. Like, my characters. There's will... a lot of people dying by suicide. In this yeah, movie. my characters yeah. will kill themselves because there is nothing left to live for in this world. They are hopeless. Mm-hmm. They have nothing left to live Like, done. Like, they will die. I mean, yes. honestly, even. I, 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 I'm not there yet, but like, just jumping into it, like, watching Anna kill herself with that gun. Yeah. Because the way she does it is not practical at all. No. It makes no <laughs> sense at all. There's so much easier ways to do it, but visually I think it's really significant that she does it on top of Mark. Well, but she's like moving her hands behind her to shoot herself in the back. Mm-hmm. It's just oh god. Ugh. Well, and I think I hadn't really thought about codependency like in with the term for this movie but like the answer to that is there is no person that is going to create this for you that is going to be the answer that person you have to find that love within yourself and as Mm -hmm. cheesy it can sometimes sound like that's (laughs) that's 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 the first step in recovering from codependency and i know because i read the book but like you (laughs) you start doing the things you want to do and you start listening to yourself and i feel like that is what anna is trying to do with this creature or that's the read that I take of it. But what I feel like the movie is ultimately saying is this kind of this nihilistic view is that within this system that she exists, she ends up just creating what yeah. she had before. Cause that's what she knows and she can't see outside of it. Well, and I think it's also deeply ironic that the thing that she ends up wanting the most is the thing she already has just less complex. Right. Exactly. And that's the same thing that Mark wants. Well, too, yeah, right? that's, I mean, yeah, that, yeah, that's the point. Exactly. <laughs> because they don't challenge you, you know, like imagine the boring relationship Helen and the creature are going to have. Yeah. I mean, oh it God. would be hot, but it would be really boring. <laughs> Look, they're going to have eyes for days, and they're exactly. going to have really boring sex. Yeah, yeah, her eyes at least look natural. His black eyes look very terrifying. I know. Oh, my God. Like, but if also, I thought her he eyes was don't look natural. Those contacts look painful. Man, do, yeah. you know what? I don't even care. You, you rarely, rarely, rarely see people with just those green of eyes oh, and i it's amazing love yeah. green eyes it's like an aquamarine almost mm-hmm. you know no they're green, <laughs> green. <laughs> i said they were great <laughs> sorry i said aqua green <laughs> there we go okay all is explained <laughs> Um, I'm curious, what do you folks think of the return of Mark's ex-spy colleagues and all of this nonsense with the car explosion and the shootout in the street? I feel like it's actually kind of unnecessary. Yep. Mm. Well, but okay, so th- this this is where though I feel like the historical and like context and the location are playing a part because mm-hmm. this guy shows up and he because Mark is looking at this dog's corpse in the water. Right, so that dog didn't die of old age. What about you, mm-hmm. Mark? Don't you think it's uneconomical to waste your time on dogs, even dogs that you love? And yes, you can say that the dog is Anna in this case, but I wonder also if the dog is representing the country itself. Probably. So yeah. I, 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 get, I get it plot wise. I don't know how necessary this is, but thematically, I wonder if it was it was very important for Zawalski. Hmm. Well, or, or even I don't have anything more meaningful to say because I 
I don't think I have a full enough understanding of the the sort of political frame, but I like the idea of the movie even gently saying, hey, you become so invested in this interpersonal drama between these two people, but aren't you paying attention to the conflict that's happening between East and West Berlin yeah, right now? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So necessary, maybe not, but integral, possibly. There we go. There what we go. I kind of see because it kind of dives into like an action movie. He gets on a motorcycle, yes. yeah, and crashes. It, like <laughs> part of me wonders, like he's just had this moment of connection with Anna, and or like a little while ago he had that moment because they have that mm-hmm. tender scene where he comes and he's got Margie's blood all over her, and I feel like they have sex at that point, right? Yes. Yeah. And I wonder if this is a way of him trying to like remasculinize himself, you know, like maybe I'm gonna like tear through the town on a Harley. And I got that, my wife back, and now I'm an action movie star. Exactly. And I'm just gonna bite it out on this motorcycle, and that might be me being mad at Mark again. So I don't know. That might be a little unfair. Or could this be him realizing, okay, we had that moment, but now that I've seen what codependency and sacrifice looks like because of Heinrich's mom's death, I'm going to go out in this blaze of glory trying to protect my ex-wife, knowing Mm. I can't have it. So Mm. I'm just going to basically kill myself. Yeah. So that that's kind of what happens. He ends up getting shot a bunch. He climbs up a random stairwell. <laughs> Anna and his doppelganger, who we see for the first time, show up because they can just find him. Yeah. It's magic. And uh, yeah, the cops end up shooting them. And Anna ends up sacrificing herself. And then Mark throws himself off the stairwell. So he plummets to his death. So this doppelganger hypnotizes a woman to shoot at the cops mm-hmm. <laughs> it, mm-hmm. it stands up and just kind of yeah he is, just wants to see how high he can get i guess which i don't know what is this like is it just, oh like this perfect man can make any woman do whatever he wants see and i feel like that is a tell that he is more of the same he is gonna be like mark again and just use again this might be more mean to mark but like that he is going to treat women the same way that mark did because it's a repetitive system you know jen i love that you're just like the patriarchy and then i'm over here being like "Ooh, science fiction he's got the ability to compel women maybe that means he was secretly compelling anna the whole time oh shit i I don't disagree with what you're saying jen but to me what these two doppelgangers and I'm, i'm including helen as a doppelganger ganger they are strictly adhering to gender roles uh societal gender Mm -hmm. roles so Mm -hmm. while while yet what you are saying about mark is correct it's also what was what was okay for men to do at the time what was expected exactly Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. which is why i feel like it's so subversive when anna bucks that you know Mm mm-hmm yeah. Well, it's, it's almost a... like a self-hatred for her, right? Like, oh yeah. my god, like I I hate that I'm like I hate that you're making me like this. I hate that you're like this, but but this is the fuck it. I'm going to fuck you anyway. Right. But I think she legitimately believes that this version will be better. Like, yeah. it's almost, you know what, it's more of the same, but also maybe it'll be different this time. That's that chance. Yeah. yeah. Well, because with any with a robot, which is what this thing seems to be like, there's at least a measure of predictability there. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. well, and so is that her reverting back to the faith? Because he yes. is now a known quantity. Mm-hmm. He looks like, even though he is different, she knows she grew him, but he mm-hmm. looks just like Mark. And so she, like that, maybe it'll be different this time. That Yeah, maybe I can control him. Exactly. Yeah. It's like the bridge between this chance and this faith. And I think when I look at Helen and the doppelganger, um, like, evil sam neil it's like these are the idealized dehumanized forms of these gender stereotypes and so we are reverting to the norm after these two people just like tore themselves apart trying to Mm -hmm. fit into these roles and what they had to do to fit these roles is take their humanity out so how do you two read the ending then where yeah we watch bob run and hop in the bath because he doesn't want helen to open the door to the other clone demon robot (laughs) and then we hear as we go to black and start to get the credits we hear bombs getting dropped and explosions is this metaphorical yes i i really wish they had shown a scene of bob just lifting his head and taking a breath (laughs) like that really (laughs) bothered me all right, I have more thoughts about, but that just no, it's, it's just it's, like, it's a nihilistic ending. I think the bombs mm-hmm. are metaphorical, but do I think they're actually happening in the realm of the film? Yes, mm-hmm. okay. But are the bombs a result of their of the destruction of Mark and Anna? Possibly. Is it a result of whatever fucking things going on in West Berlin? Sure. Yes, all of it, all of it. Yes, all of like it. all the, of the, the above. The, the the whole movie, the emotional spectrum, the narrative spectrum has all culminated in this. Does it make a lot of sense? Maybe not, but I. It, well, whatever. not literal sense, no. right? Yeah, but not yes. in a literal sense. Yes, not at all. But, but a thematic or a metaphorical sense. Yes, absolutely it makes mm-hmm. sense. I would love to read Bob's like retreat as him not wanting to repeat his parents' mistakes. Right. I don't know if that feels honest. Based on the end of this movie, Bob did not make it out of that bathtub. Exactly. Like, or maybe like if I am going to be stuck in this cycle, I don't want to be. You know. Which is the darker reading, but I don't know. I don't know what I quite make of the bombs and the fact that she won't let him in. Part of me is like, if she lets him in, will the bombs stop? Which, again, Mm. doesn't make sense, but... I love the look in her eyes at that moment. It's just like, that's like the the malevolent, like I am in control in this moment and I'm going to take it and maybe he'll get hit by the bombs or something. I don't know. That might be a reach, <laughs> but, but I love it. It's like, she's got the control right now and that's where we leave it, you know? What's well, wild too, right? Because in some ways, this is the most classical end to a horror film that you could offer, right? It's the mm-hmm. vulnerable young woman who's being threatened by this this cruel creature that we don't know like is he gonna run in there and ravage her and murder her and rip her apart and stuff or is it gonna be yeah they're just gonna recreate domestic scenes and they'll be in bliss we don't know it's lovely who who could say (laughs) i think when i look at her like i think i'm working this out in real time as i'm talking about it like she's been around a lot longer than he has like he's brand new and he's Mm -hmm. got all this like big dick energy and he's like i'm a man (laughs) and i could do all this stuff but she's like but i know how to work you you know and that's kind of the little glint i see in her eyes is like well maybe i'll open the door what are you going to give me and the the pulling the strings behind the scenes thing i would like Hmm. to think she's doing that right maybe they're the versions maybe she's the version that can get a little well, she would further. be in control right because exactly. she knows how to navigate this world so mm-hmm. she would be the new mark because she would be able to guide him right 
<laughs> 18 possibilities later. I know. <laughs> but that's what's so great about this movie. Yeah, I, I can. It's interesting. Like, I, I expected to be more frustrated by this on a first mm-hmm. watch, and I didn't find any frustration watching this at all. Was I perplexed sometimes? Yes. But right. I was never at a point where I was like, what the fuck, movie? I, I, <laughs> I bought into everything this movie was selling. Yeah, this is a movie where you're either along for the ride and you're just going with it and feeling everything the movie is trying to make you feel or you're not and then you're missing half of it so right. I pity those people <laughs> yeah sometimes i'm i'm surprised that i like it as much as i do like this is a five-star movie for me i think it's just so incredibly well directed and framed mm-hmm. and these performances are just they're giving it everything mm-hmm. like i don't think i've seen the kind of physicality particularly from a johnny but i think sam neill is actually doing really great work as well yeah and it's it's just so dynamic like the whole movie leaps off the screen but it's also overwhelming you know i feel like i need to sit in a dark space and just be quiet with my thoughts for a while after watching this because it's so full on well i feel like it's disarming too you know one of the things i noticed upon watching the first part of this several times was i feel like he is not establishing us in a scene before the drama is kicking in it feels like Mm -hmm. we are being jerked around in this too and i feel like that is what takes me out of really questioning a lot of it until i watch it on repeat and then i know what the ending is going to be but it just feels like you have to go along with the film otherwise you're just spinning around you're rocking back and forth in that rocking chair you know yeah Mm -hmm. but i mean i can't decide if i like it or not i know that i love it but I, do I enjoy watching this? Sometimes yes, and sometimes no. You know, <laughs> it's a lot. This is yeah. my feel-good movie of the year. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I mean, I had watched it several times on repeat. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that is possession, everybody. Um, Jen, I, I know we've already kind of talked about our overall thoughts, but do you have any final things to say about this film? I think. The other question that I think I was thinking about this is what does the title mean? And I think that kind of is the key to what I take from this is this feels to me like a woman saying, I possess myself and no one else can possess me. And I think that's, that's what it makes me feel. And that's why I think I responded so well to it and why I love it. I don't know if that's the intention, but so yeah, I, I just really loved the experience of it, even though it was really challenging and very uncomfortable in times, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's basically your subtitle. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is a My Jam movie for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 I was surprised by this. I mean, again, like I, I knew all, I, I had seen the subway scene before I watched this movie. I, I knew about all like the histrionics. I, I was like, I, I knew about people telling me, oh, like, you're not prepared for what happens in the last half, blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I just, I, I was surprised at how much i did enjoy this and mm-hmm. vibe with this on even a first time watch i watched it the second time just to make sure i could absorb it as much as i could but um yeah i i, I found myself very captivated by everything going on in this film and I, the emotions poured out of the screen yeah all of that and more i would say my last word on this is just i'm so glad 
that it's available and a bunch of people who had never had the chance to see it can now say that they have and we can have these kinds of discussions and i will say too like i think i like this movie more now having talked to you two about it like i feel like this is a movie that begs to be discussed you know oh yeah you can't watch this without wanting to talk to somebody about it and so you know, you guys have raised my enjoyment of it. I think most movies, I mean, it was, uh, m- movies that, that are dense like this, I, mm-hmm. I think any of those movies, like, will, will always benefit from a conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, um, all right. Well, before we announce what we're covering next week to continue our month of weird sex. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wait, how does this qualify again? Oh, j- just <laughs> oh, wait for next. <laughs> but, oh, but, Lord. Jen, let, let, tell everyone, for, first of all, thank you. But let everyone know, where can they find you on social media? Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. Um, you can find me at Jim Ferratu, mostly on Twitter and Instagram. Um, you can also find me co-hosting the Losers Club podcast and the Psychoanalysis podcast, which is Losers Club, the Losers Club pod and Psycho A pod. And then White Ladies in Crisis also. And if you follow me, you will find all of my writing and stuff because I post it there. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at HorrorQueers, or shoot us an email at HorrorQueers at gmail.com. Find us on Letterboxd to keep track of all the films we've covered. Go to our YouTube channel to check out our interviews with various horror filmmakers, as well as our monthly hangouts where we talk about hot-button issues with some of our peers. Uh, If you want to chat with other listeners, please join our Facebook Horror Queers group. Uh, if you want to show us some love, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That helps us out a lot. But if you want to support us with money, please support the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash horrorqueers. Uh, this month, we've got episodes on Roxanne Benjamin's There's Something Wrong with the Children, Brandon Cronenberg's Infinity Pool, <laughs> Elizabeth Banks's Cocaine Bear, and <laughs> M. Night Shyamalan's Knock at the Cabin, which will tie into our audio commentary for the month, which is on M. Night Shyamalan's very divisive, The Village. Mm. Joe. Yes. We have spent the first two weeks of Weird Sex Month talking about your films. Yep. We are now moving into my films. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Yeah, my birthday has come and gone in between the first and second episodes. So I guess this is your pick? Not really. But, uh, I'm excited for this one, Trace. Yeah! We've we've talked about... (laughs) programming this for a little while we're still in very divisive territory so uh we're going kind of canadian i i'm just like it's canadian <laughs> i mean kind of canadian kind of. because i think it's a parody of canadians but um yeah we're gonna talk about tusk oh, oh. kevin smith's tusk <laughs> i will y'all i I people hate this movie. I <laughs> I love this movie and I will save her a horror comedy, a Kevin Smith film no less. It is mm-hmm. the most uncomfortable I have been in a theater. Um maybe at the it's in like top 5 where I'm like, "Ooh, I I want to look away from the screen right now." <laughs> like uncomfortable. Oh boy. <laughs> and I've never seen it, so I'm excited. I don't think you're going to like it, but I'm excited to talk about it. <laughs> Well, we'll find out. But until next week, everyone, we can finally, once and for all, cross out possession. Indeed. And cross out horror queers. Horror queers.